All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells, and by our former co-host and now a special guest host, Benjamin Carlson. Ben, welcome back to He's Done It. Returning guest, and it's great to be back. So we'll have another busy show for you with uh, lots of NFL action to discuss COVID ramifications already messing things up a little around the league but we still had plenty of games week five to talk about we'll talk about some of the you know the biggest action and how that will affect things moving forward uh the NBA season wrapped up this weekend apparently I I don't know I guess maybe something <laughs> significant happened you know well, we probably spent a In couple October? minutes on that yeah yeah, I don't know. Did uh, somebody somebody win a championship? I, I don't really, I don't know. I, I haven't been paying attention. Nobody watched it, right? It doesn't really count anyway. But we'll 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 talk about it. I can't remember. Is this a, is this podcast anti LeBron or pro LeBron? <laughs> it's, it is. I'm uh, getting a. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get into that. Um, yeah, okay. I'll I'll say the words out loud. The Lakers won the NBA Finals. LeBron James won the championship. We'll talk all about that, uh, and we also bring back the top five uh, as we will be counting down our favorite Halloween spooky season October movies, and uh, you know to wrap up this show. So with that, let's get started. So he's done it. The original trio is back. We have Ben on our show. And uh, Ben, before we get started uh, in the actual sports talk, I think it would be a good time to just kind of jump into it with uh, Affable Chat. Of course, you uh, always looking to plug your other podcast. And of course. Uh, this, this past uh, Sunday, you released a uh, new affable chat off script episode called hashtag chip life. And I yes. think it's such a fascinating topic. I think this is something that, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners could be intrigued by what is chip life. Oh man. Everybody has actually, we were surprised with the reaction we got from the chip life, but basically it's something that we were inspired to create after we saw, um, you know, we started talking and riffing about things like salt life or dog life you know if someone's like a georgia bulldogs fan they'll put a sticker on the back of their truck that says dog life and how kind of hilarious it is that someone would potentially commit their entire life or lifestyle to be about such a nebulous topic uh, especially narrowing in on salt life because obviously that brand kind of goes along with coastal living uh doing things around the ocean uh, you know of course but you could take it literally and be like what if it was just like someone who's really into sodium, like somebody <laughs> who really loves salty food and or being, you know, bitter and salty about everything when it and getting pissed off all the time because they just live the salt life. So we conjured up the chip life. And uh, by that, we're focusing mostly on, you know, chips like the snack and uh, talking about how great chips are. And it's not necessarily like a dietary thing either. It's just taking something that's very 
you know, accessible to everybody, no monetary, uh, you know, blockage. There's no, there's nothing in your way to purchasing chips. They're so cheap. They're available to everyone and just getting really jazzed up and excited about chips. And then you can get online and put hashtag chip life and see that there are thousands of people across the internet who are already doing this, uh, celebrating chips for, uh, you know, how great they are. I wanted to hear what your reaction was, Corey, uh, upon listening to us go on and for about an hour on this subject. Yeah, so I um I I first heard of Chip Life uh, at the beginning of this year when uh, your your friend Nick, who was who was on the episode, uh, he like posted on Instagram like a pic of him at like a lake holding a bag of chips, just saying hashtag Chip Life. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> that was when you explained the whole concept to me, and uh, I had known you'd been planning on uh, recording that episode for a few months now. Um, because I actually bought a Salt Life shirt and I knew how much you talked about Salt Life because of Chip Life. And I was like, <laughs> Ben has to know I did this. Uh, anyway, I, I think it was really interesting, uh, both on the episode and then in Twitter afterwards, the whole debate around what is actually a chip. Are Cheetos yes. a chip? Are Pretzel Crisp a chip? And uh, I think that I'm of the opinion that Cheetos are not chips. Just because they come in a bag and are similar yes. to chips as a snack food does not mean that they are. I looked up on Wikipedia and it says product types. They make uh, popcorn and cheese curls. And of course, cheese puffs, basically the same thing. And sure. uh, the only reference to chip in the entire article is just talking about uh, the founder who had some relation to a potato chip company. So to me, that's it's not a chip. That's my, my big take on it. Uh, I was actually like... <laughs> threw out the idea jokingly of doing a top five chips countdown <laughs> uh, and i think it's one thing that sounds kind of funny in the moment but then you start to go through it you're like this is kind of a stupid list like why are we doing this <laughs> uh, but i am kind of curious like and not honestly do a top five but like what are some of your go-to chips well part of the chip life is not brand loyalty it's not a consumerism type uh, mantra you know you can make your own chips you can uh, very easy to make you can make them out of a lot of different things like we even brought up kale chips you know a very unconventional chip you can make at home um i'm a big fan of uh salt and vinegar chips Th- those are some of my favorites but honestly i am a very i'm a varied chip kind of guy i like to keep it uh different you know i just this last week i bought a pack of pepper uh pepperoncini chips Is i think that that's how you pronounce it pronunciation I'm not an expert, but I'll tell you what, they taste great. And uh, that's how I am about my chip life. I like variety, um, and, I, and I like variety in the flavors and brands as well. Um, but just to give you an answer, you can't go wrong with the classic original potato chip. I'll never get tired of it. I'm in the minority on this, but I like the baked Lay's chips more than the regular Lay's chips. Way more than the regular Lay's. What do you think, Corey? I see you're shaking your head. I, yeah, I, I've never been a fan of the uh, the baked chips. I mean, if I were to go with a Lay's, I, the original Lay's to me, it's like, yeah, nobody dislikes them, but they're they're just boring. Like, they're, nobody's going to get excited about them. Uh, I do love kettle cooked Lay's, though. Kettle cooked chips are always my favorite, whether it's Lay's, Cape Cod, any other brand. Um, I would definitely put those as my like general go to. Uh, but if I did have to kind of, you know, I guess go to a, a brand loyalty, I would say Sun Chips just in general. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the original, uh, but I also really love the Hard- Harvest Cheddar. And I really love Cheddar Pringles. So, like, I think any kind of, like, if I had to go with, like, a flavor um, outside of just your original, it would be some kind of cheddar flavor. So, that's the 
that's the beautiful thing about the chip life, though, dude. Is it, you can you can live it however you want to live. There's no wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. So I've I saw the the polls that you had on Affable Chat Twitter page, and I voted no on the Cheetos. But if we did a top five list of of uh, the best chips, I would have the Big Lay's in there, and then I would have the Cape Cod forty percent reduced fat chips, and then I'd have the yes. Panera <laughs> potato chips. And then for four and five, I would say, you know what? I'll take it back. Uh, Cheetos and the rest of the puffs, their chips as well, because I'm I don't I can't think of many other potato chips or regular chips that I like. <laughs> well, uh, let me just I know we don't want to spend the whole time on on chips, so I'll, I'll finish with this. I'll tell you the results of those polls. But it turns out that the general populace, at least my general my audience, does not think that Cheetos are chips. Uh, way more people said no than yes on that one. So Cheetos, not chips. Cheetos, uh, flaming hot Cheetos, are still not chips, but more people think that they're yeah, chips. Yeah, I saw that. Than regular Cheetos, <laughs> it's interesting. It's I think it's just that they get a lot of respect in the snack yeah. food game, and people just want to vote on the affirmative for them. Bugles, the cone-shaped chips, are considered chips by my audience, but there was a surprising amount of no vote. So there are some people who look at Bugles and see that shape and say. Not chips, I despite was, everything I was else about them. Okay. Well. I guess I didn't think of it too much more than the shape. And finally, and Funyuns were also considered chips, but less than Bugles. They were actually barely considered chips. Uh, and just so for anyone who doesn't know, Funyuns are not fried onions in a bag. They are basically chips <laughs> they're in a <laughs> ring shape and taste a little bit like onions yeah uh, so it was really educational experience and i was just really happy with the response and if you're curious about the chip life go ahead and check it out affable chat our latest episode hashtag chip life yeah and uh, i know that while you haven't been on he's done it you certainly have been reviewing a lot of movies uh in the past few months so plenty of other things even if hashtag chip life doesn't really pique your interest you know, some of your more recent movies like uncut gems and yes. on the basis of sex you're probably going to have someone would be appealed to at least one of those three episodes that's yeah. So. yeah come check us out all right with that let's uh let's get into the actual sports talk uh let's talk nfl football and i guess we're kind of talking about almost the lack of nfl football not to say that all of football is canceled most teams uh, 30 out of 32 have been able to proceed the season without really any issues. One team, the New England Patriots, lost their quarterback, Cam Newton, to uh, COVID. On, in terms of going on COVID IR, didn't kill him or anything. He's back in practice. But uh, the, the Patriots had to play a Monday night game, almost had to play two in a row, wound up having it canceled. Um, or at least postponed, and something that uh, affected a team even worse, the Tennessee Titans, who their week four game against the Pittsburgh Steelers was pushed back three weeks, totally messing around with the Steelers' schedule. And they also ended up having to play the Bills on Tuesday night uh, after several players on the team tested positive. And I guess, you know, what, immediately, what are your thoughts on how the NFL has handled the Tennessee Titans in particular? I think they narrowly avoided disaster by being able to schedule a Tuesday night game. I, I shudder at the thought of what would have happened had they had to cancel two weeks in a row. 
uh, all the implications. I mean, already you, you kind of question the league's treatment of teams that are affected by this, like the Steelers, uh, who had to reschedule because of another team's quote-unquote negligence. But two weeks in a row, I think, would really start potentially causing problems down the road. I, I, don't, I wouldn't mind having teams to being forced to forfeit games if the teams were known that they were breaking protocols. But I also wonder, why can't the NFL just push back the schedule a little bit more? Like, have a week 18, have a week 19, push the Super Bowl into mid-February or late February. I don't understand. Am I missing something there, or is, is the NFL just that arrogant? So... I agree with you in the sense that the Titans, if they actually violated protocols, the NFL shouldn't be accommodating them. That a forfeit seems reasonable. I mean, you say what you want about oh, the players will lose a game check, whatever. I think having them mess up this schedule, like the way that it has happened, uh, just because the team violated protocols, like that, that to me would be grounds of forfeit. It's not just a, a case of a guy just happens to get it, just like anyone else. Uh, that being said, in terms of the whole schedule, I think it's kind of difficult to say we're going to move like say example like bill's tiny's can't be played we're just going to play that week 18 what happens if no other game gets canceled now maybe that's just like a pipe dream to think that the nfl is going to suddenly not have any more problems and it's certainly something that we could see uh, as we you know get later in the season bye weeks are no longer a thing but i think that's kind of the risk right now is that if you only have that one game to make up now all of a sudden the Bills or the Titans are at a disadvantage, whereas a team in the wild card round gets a bye week. Uh, so I, I think that's really the big problem. Uh, it would have, I think the more sensible thing to do would just be built in a second bye week in the middle of the season, say like week nine. We're just going to skip a week. If you need to play a game, then we'll do that. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's something that the NFL will actually entertain. It, to me, that's really what the biggest thing is, is they're just going forward, assuming there won't be any issues, which how far is that? I think there should be multiple, multiple bye weeks. I mean, look at a team like the Denver Broncos, where they practiced all week for the Patriots game. And then because there was another positive test on the practice squad, instead, besides just uh, Newton and uh, Gilmore, because of that positive test, they had to postpone the game next week. And the Broncos bye week was just practicing all week for nothing. I mean, and then you got if yeah. they don't if they're not given another bye week, they have to play I think thirteen straight more games, and I think it's the same thing with the Steelers, though. True, right? Yeah, well, I mean the Steelers they had like a few days. I think the game was officially canceled on like Thursday before, but in the case yeah, the Broncos and the Patriots, it wasn't decided until the day before the game that it was postponed. So they both effectively lost their bye week. Well, here's the thing. The NFL should have two bye weeks anyways. Football is an absolutely brutal sport, and I think it would make perfect sense to throw another bye week in there. Um, And this year it would make even more sense um, because, like you said, it would give you some room to manipulate the schedule. But my question for you guys is, is it fair to give a team a free win because another team couldn't stick to the COVID uh, guidelines if they broke protocol? Like, how do you feel if you're a team who doesn't go against a COVID team like that, seeing your division rival potentially be awarded a win for no merit of their own? So, I mean, I think that's something that it's interesting for me because I am, I'm a fan of that team that, you know, that, that rival would have team gotten would have win. gotten a win. Well, I guess a better question, because if anyone would know this, it would be you, Corey. Has the NFL ever awarded a forfeit in, uh, in its history? I, is there precedent here? 
I actually don't know. That's not something that I had seen come up. It's not something I really had bothered researching. Um, it feels like it had to have happened at some point, even if it was like way before the Super Bowl era. But I, I don't know of an actual example where it's occurred. Um, I mean, I just feel like with such a short season in the yeah. NFL compared to other sports, giving a team a win for doing nothing feels like it might affect the competitive nature of the league. Oh, absolutely. And it's one of those things where as much as you could say the Titans deserve a loss, you know, the Steelers and Bills, their reason for deserving a win would just be the NFL happened to schedule them for these weeks back in May. It's not like they necessarily did anything to deserve that win other than the opponent that they happen to face. And, you know, it's it's unfair what is kind of happening with the schedule. I mean, look at the Los Angeles Chargers. They they had nothing to do with any of this, not facing anyone with COVID. They didn't have any issues themselves. And all of a sudden, the NFL just has to rip up their schedule to be able to accommodate the Patriots and Broncos game moving. And now Chargers go from a week 10 by to a week six by. And, uh, you know, I think that it was something that had been known that they things would not be fair. Like, that's that's just a matter. If, if a team had a case of COVID and you had to cancel a game, the other team's going to be affected whether or not anyone was actually sick on their team. Uh, I think in the case when you have like a team that's just, you know, given the middle finger to the NFL when they say stay home, do everything virtual and practicing anyway, it feels like a little more like, all right, like, are we really going to keep accommodating these guys? But you know, it's, it's like the, the Steelers didn't necessarily deserve that win. So you know, I, I understand both sides of it. I'm not crying over it, but it, you know, it, it's unfortunate how that's played out. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we have another example like yeah, this. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about when when Cam Newton got tested positive. It was a Saturday, and they had a Monday night, or no, excuse me, they had a Sunday. They had a they Sunday game, Sunday. but it got yeah. moved to Monday night, and so they're forcing the players to go on a plane on that Monday morning. And they actually didn't go all at once or all together once they separated one plane uh came out of i think boston another plane came out of providence and that was ten called the the quote-unquote sick plane because those were the ones closest to newton at the time and then one of them actually did test positive later and <laughs> there were pictures of uh gilmore hugging mahomes after the game and just that could have been that could have been a disaster if he tested positive yeah, and that's such like an incredible thing they did. And I also like kind of blows my mind how we've had guys test positive and yet there hasn't been the same kind of spread. Whereas the Titans had an outbreak from it. Like how how that happens. I think there's just so much we don't know about this virus. Uh the NFL's changing their rules though. They're going to start testing day of game. They're making even stricter protocols, so you know, I think the the important thing has to be keeping these players healthy and safe, but uh, by doing that, you're only increasing the risk of having more scheduling issues. So, uh, you know, it would have been safer if they could have found a way to do a bubble. The NFL chose not to do that. So I'm always going to kind of hope that they can piece together as, as much of a season as possible. Uh, so let's let's talk about some other news. So before we get into the games, we had uh, a few big things happen in the, the uh, past week or so. Uh, two head coaches have already been fired. Uh, One of them, a bit of a surprise, Houston Texans head coach and general manager Bill O'Brien and the Atlanta Falcons head coach Dan Quinn was fired this past week. Uh, Both of them got off to winless starts, 0-4 and 0-5 respectively. Let's start with Bill O'Brien. 
And uh, I guess what was your what's your immediate reaction on Houston parting with their longtime head coach and uh, controversial general manager? He had it coming. He's made <laughs> horrible choices and had horrible performances for a long time. It is weird to fire him now and not directly after he traded DeAndre Hopkins, <laughs> but it uh, it's well deserved now, just like it has been for a while. Um, it's you know it is weird timing in the sense where you might want to let him his vision for this year happen because what else are you going to do? But he has crippled this roster and this team and um it's way too late he should have been he should have been fired after the chiefs playoff game where they they were up 24 nothing i don't care how good the chiefs are he blew a 24 nothing leaf 24 nothing lead after one half not a game (laughs) one half of football (laughs) that was it at one once the chiefs came back and we're up we're up in the first half and it was over and i would i think he should have been fired then but then he really should have been fired after the hopkins trade and and everything else so yeah i'm same thing as ben he should have been fired it's a tragedy it's a tragedy that that's where deshaun watson went honestly uh, yeah because it feels like deshaun watson does amazing things in spite of what the texans organization has done to you know put him in the position they put him in and a big part of that has obviously been Bill I, said, I said that all of last year <laughs> constantly all of last year uh, yeah, so Bill O'Brien, the general manager, definitely deserved to go. Like he he proved to be a train wreck with a lot of his trades, and of course the DeAndre Hopkins one was a tipping point. Uh, in terms of Bill O'Brien, the head coach, it's kind of like weird thinking about him because he didn't never really had a ton of like postseason success, but he still got the Texans to the playoffs a lot. He had a fifty-two and forty-eight record, which most of that was from going four and twelve in twenty seventeen. Uh, when Deshaun Watson tore his ACL and the wheels just fell off from there. He won a couple playoff games. I feel like Bill O'Brien, the head coach, is one of those guys who he was never going to win a Super Bowl, but there are so many worse options you could have. But just because of the whole GM stuff, it makes sense why Houston would just totally cut ties with him. The timing was also a little odd with them kind of changing the um, you know, offensive play calling duties and like giving him him more power and then nope we're just going to take everything away from you uh, I know that Texans fans love having Bill O'Brien gone I agree with Brian that he should have been gone after the loss of, to the Chiefs and I'm really intrigued to see where Houston goes from here because I was pretty high on them coming to the season they had a really difficult schedule having to start off with Kansas City Baltimore Pittsburgh and then Minnesota it's Vikings only win Vikings are still a competent team so it's not like he was just losing to terrible teams uh, but it it does seem like the the Texans season is you know, kind of over at this point, and it's just a matter of all right, what do they do to build from here as they bring in a new general manager and new head coach? Well, it's going to be a while. They aren't they missing their first two picks? They are, season? yeah. So it's like there's no incentive for them to lose. Like they have to turn this around, or else they're just giving Miami even more value. So. Uh, you know, the other head coach uh, more recently fired uh, Atlanta Falcons head coach Dan Quinn uh, following a loss to the Carolina Panthers. Atlanta fell to 0-5. Last season, Quinn's Falcons started 1-7. He was considered on the hot seat for uh, most of the season at that point, but then wound up winning six out of his last eight to keep his job. Uh, Falcons and uh, owner Arthur Blank did not allow that to happen at this point. So I, I think... Quinn's firing feels long overdue. You know, ever since that Super Bowl loss, we've talked about it before. The Falcons have just been totally downhill, and uh, that 
it it feels like this one the timing was was actually perfect uh, compared to maybe the O'Brien one. No, I I think he should have been fired last year or after last season, but because of their small winning streak by the end of last season, they ended up keeping him for whatever reason. And yeah, like what like what you said, ever since Super Bowl Fifty One, they've they've been broken ever since. It's been just straight up downhill for the Falcons, and I don't know where they go from there. Yeah, and actually, I have yeah. a I have a question for you guys. Do you think do you think uh, the Falcons should be selling? On guys like Matt Ryan or Julio or whomever, uh, if people are buying, yeah, if they can get a good price, I think yes. I, I would say it's reasonable for them to just totally blow it up and start over at this point. You know, I th- especially if they can get their hands on Trevor Lawrence next year. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like this year tanking, then yes, you. There's probably a team out there that will take former MVP Matt Ryan. There's probably a team out there that'll pay Julio Jones. I think it it might be time to blow it up. In my opinion, okay, and this isn't really like circles and X's football. This is more like the mythic of football. But I think you need a total culture reset in Atlanta if you're ever going to get out of the shadow of twenty three and or twenty eight and three. It is you see it every time the Falcons get ahead, and I know this isn't a. I'm not the only person who noticed this. It's very obvious. Every time the Falcons get a lead, everyone's like, "Oh, are they going to blow it?" And then a lot of times they do. <laughs> yep. And and I they it's it's a I believe that it's partially a mental thing. It, it's something in that building. They're haunted by that loss, and they have to get beyond that. And I I just I think that a total culture reset um, could help them to get to the next era of Falcons football, which will hopefully be something different um, than just blowing leads. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta sports in general has a long storied history of playoff disappointment and just all around reasons to be sad, which is what Falcons fans have been for the the better part of the last three and a half years now. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree that, you know, Atlanta, it's not like, Dan Quinn is the only reason why this team is bad, that they're not going to suddenly turn it around with the new head coach. All the players love Dan Quinn. Todd Gurley just showed up this year, and he's like trying to rally guys in the locker room saying we should keep him. That's why Dan Quinn was able to stick around for so long, despite outside of going to the Super Bowl, didn't really accomplish a whole lot with that team. Uh, A lot more disappointment than success, so... Uh, I I don't think that bringing in a new guy, whereas like maybe the Texans getting rid of Bill O'Brien could like light a spark in them. I think if anything, it's just going to be a negative getting rid of Quinn, which if it helps them get a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or whoever to help that future, maybe it will quickly become a positive. Negative in the short term, positive in the long term. And the thing is, they gave him his chance. He couldn't get anything done this year. You've seen the defensive performances from the, the Falcons this season somebody's you know heads have have to roll at this point uh with what we've seen and he's a defensive coach yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) he came he was the d coordinator in seattle before he showed up in atlanta yeah and i think they're they're already being linked to a lot of uh college coaches lincoln riley is have been a top candidate uh the head coach at oklahoma and a lot of people are throwing around mike leach uh after his his great performance against lsu to start the season so it'll be interesting to see what direction they go at head coach but it does really feel like there, there needs to be some kind of a reset in uh in atlanta well, if they get Mike Leach, they'll be able to play uh, Green Bay, New England, and Kansas City like <laughs> yeah. he talked about. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. And, uh, and I guess one last piece of NFL news before we get into actual games. So uh, just yesterday at the time of recording, the New York Jets parted ways with uh, running back Le'Veon Bell. 
after signing him to a, a lucrative four-year, $52 million contract, lots of guaranteed money. Uh, the Jets just couldn't make it work. They couldn't find a trade partner. Le'Veon Bell is now on the streets, available as a free agent. So I guess, what's uh, first off, what's your immediate reaction to the Jets deciding to part ways with Le'Veon Bell now and just straight up releasing him? Adam Gase is ruining this franchise. I mean, it's already bad, but the, the way that players... I, I don't know exactly why Le'Veon wanted out, but I've got a hunch. And we've seen it before. Uh, it's they need to get rid of this man. <laughs> I don't know how he's still in there. Um, so, and I think it's, you know, this kind of player management is just unforgivable. I've been on this side of it where you lose a, like you have a player departure where it's like, but he's really good. Why are we just giving him up? Um, it's very frustrating. It's terrible to see as a fan. And, uh, yeah, you got it just like in Atlanta, you know, it heads have to roll after something like this. This is unforgivable, especially after, you know, you consider Jamal Adams basically did, a very similar thing. I think part of it is definitely the team that Le'Veon was on for his not so great success because the Jets, like you said, are really, really, really bad. But he also hasn't been great for three years now. Like it, people will people will love him because he's because he's the he has a popular name and he's been great for fantasy football owners. But he honestly hasn't been good for so long that I don't know if he were to be able to go to a different team would it be would he go back to the Pittsburgh ways or would it would he be a little washed like he is right now yeah so I mean I guess to just talking about Adam Gase the Jets chose Adam Gase over Le'Veon Bell which Le'Veon Bell has not been good in New York it's been a disaster of a signing from the Jets perspective but I still kind of find it incredible that they're like where yeah it, it's Bell he needs to go we we need to keep giving Adam Gase more power in in this offense we got to find him the right guys it's it's not that he's just a horrible head coach and not a great offensive genius by any means uh, that being said Le'Veon Bell has sucked the past two years there's no other way to put it he's 3.3 yards per carry 48th out of 49 qualified rushers he's only he's averaged less than seven yards per carry which puts him at like 124 out of 132 qualified pass catchers and you can say oh it's Adam Gase it's the Jets horrible offensive line well if you look at uh this stat that I don't know if it's an NFL next gen stat I don't know if the league created it ESPN created it whoever but it's uh basically it's a way to normalize running backs based on outside factors like blocking and his running yard, his rushing yards over expectation is negative. It's the fourth worst in the league in the last you know year plus in signing with the jets only ahead of Devonte Freeman, Todd Gurley and Peyton Barber. So, you know, you, you can say that, Oh, it was just a horrible situation in New York. Like Le'Veon's still the same guy he was in 2017, but the stats don't say that. So as much as things are really bad from the Jets' perspective, <laughs> like Le'Veon sitting out and going go to this team and just not performing well has not done him any favors. So uh, I, I don't totally fault the Jets for making this move, even though I, I do think that they're just a, a dumpster fire for an organization right now. Yeah, I think that the dumpster fire of an organization is, is the only way that something like this could happen. But I think at the end of the day, what what does uh, all, all types of move benefit one man? And his name is 
Bill Belichick, okay? I firmly believe that if anybody could resurrect Le'Veon's career at this point and make him an elite running back again, it would be the Patriots. As far as I know, the way that the the money that's coming to Le'Veon Bell is structured, the Jets are going to continue to pay him whether he plays for them or not. He can go sign yeah, for the veteran everything. minimum basically anywhere, and he could perform. And I know that I was saying this a lot last season that – I wanted to see Cam Newton in New England, and I've liked what I've seen. Talk about a career rejuvenator. And I would love to see Le'Veon get combined uh, with that offense and to see him start running uh, again. I I think the key here is that the Jets are going to pay him big money regardless, so he can go anywhere he wants, and I think that New England's a great spot. I don't think all the credit goes to Bill when it comes to Cam's rejuvenation. I think... I think a lot of the credit goes to Cam as well for putting in the work. For yes, and, and I, I don't want to take well. that away from Cam, but I do want to. I do want to like bring attention to the fact that Bill Belichick is letting Cam play Cam's brand of football. He's right. letting him be physical. He's letting him uh, do that short passing game. And I don't. I don't think. And I'm not an expert on this, but I did watch a YouTube video where they compared the running style that Le'Veon had in Pittsburgh to his running style in New York, and it's very different. They're playing a different kind of offense in in Pittsburgh. They said, "Here, let's play the Le'Veon Bell run game because he runs different, and if we let him do that, he can be the best running back in the league." And in New York, Adam Gay says, "I'm a genius. I'm smarter, Le'Veon. You're gonna run how I want you to, and it's not working." Um, I do like I did like Livion's running style when he was in Pittsburgh, where he does that quick he does that pause before he does anything. He's right behind his offensive line, and then and then and then makes his move. We haven't uh, seen that, but yeah, in terms, but yeah, in terms of him and being New England, I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of players on that running back depth chart of Burkhead, White, Michelle. Well, Michelle's hurt right now. Damian Harris just came off IR, so I don't know if. He'd be a great fit there, but if if and even if he were in New England, he'd get the veteran minimum, like you said, and then he would have to do whatever Bill says. Because the second he complains about knocking the ball, like he's he's gone, he's out. I think it just to stick it to the Jets. I don't know who he wants to stick it to more at this point, but if he could, I mean, that would be a great place to do it. There, there have been so many teams that are being thrown out. And, of course, the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, a return there is naturally being discussed. And from a Steelers fan perspective, so if the Steelers can add 2017 Le'Veon Bell to this offense, get a one-two punch with James Conner, you know, give Ben all of his, his targets, he, he's healthy now. You have Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, and Chase Claypool rising. That sounds amazing. But that's not where you're gonna get with Le'Veon at this point. I just I don't think that Le'Veon is willing to accept a number two like running back type role, the kind of guy who's like your elusive third down, change the pace back guy who's helped with pass protecting and catching, but he's not gonna get ninety percent of the carries like he did last time he was in Pittsburgh. And I think that's a problem. And that a team like New England, you can say, oh yeah, he'd be this perfect fit there. Does Le or does Le'Veon really want to be that? perfect fit in that type of offense you know does he want to go somewhere where he's going no, to be able de- to show out and make put- more money sign with another team like that's what i think he wants and yeah I mean, if i look at a perfect scenario for him as well as for the team i think the best marriage would be the chicago bears because yeah he would kind of be in a split role with david montgomery but i think if Le'Veon is truly the same running back that he was and the jets just 
couldn't figure out how to use him. Bell would become that number one guy. Tariq Cohen tore his ACL. He's out for the season. He takes over that role. Cordero Patterson isn't really a running back, so I don't think that there's a reason that he would steal carries from Bell. To me, that is the best situation. Uh, But I think there's so many variables that go into it because if Bell is willing to sit back and say, I just want to win a Super Bowl. I don't care about being the top guy. I got my money from the Jets. I don't care uh, what my contract looks like next season then that opens up a lot more possibilities. But just like going from that perspective, I, I'm not going to complain if the Steelers decide to bring him back. If, you know, if Mike Tomlin says, yeah, th- this is a, a good marriage, you know, bringing him back here, reuniting him with this team. He's not going to disrupt the locker room. He's only going to help us and not hurt us. Great. I just don't think it's going to happen. So I'm not going to be upset if uh, he ends up inevitably signing elsewhere. <laughs> so Ben, I, I mean, I guess we've talked about both of our teams. The 49ers are a team that I've seen linked with Bell as well. What are your thoughts on adding him to that crowded backfield? I mean, I, I think I'll give my opinion on my team at large a little bit later, but um, Kyle Shanahan has already come out and said he likes the guys he has and we're not interested in Le'Veon. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's wrap up the, uh, you know, NFL news talk and I guess we'll, we'll move into games. And I guess in the sense, uh, two of the bigger games, uh, this weekend, at least in terms of noteworthiness, uh, had to do with news. And that was, you know, we'll start off with the, uh, the devastating injury to Dak Prescott, uh, suffered this weekend. The Cowboys ended up holding on to defeat the New York giants proved a two and three, which is good for first place in the NFC East. But for a team that had Super Bowl aspirations, losing your star quarterback is a huge loss. And you add in the fact that Dak Prescott was playing on the franchise tag and an impending free agent. There's certainly a lot of questions, not just about the current state of the Cowboys, but about the future of the Cowboys and whether Dak Prescott will play for this team again. Yeah, it's tough when he had the opportunity to have a big old contract and... Now that's really in jeopardy. That that doesn't look like he'll have quite the same opportunity. I have a question for you guys. Do you think he should have taken the deal that he was offered in the offseason? Or do you think it was smart for him to bet on himself for this season and get even more money? Well, he's not going to get even more money. In retrospect, it's not a good and it, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, but he gambled and lost. Because now it's totally in jeopardy. Who knows what recovery will look like for this? Who knows if Dak will ever be the same player again? Who knows if he'll ever be worth that kind of money again? So I would say, yes, he definitely should have taken the deal. Uh, but I only know that because I've seen what happened to his leg. Yeah, and I think that's that's the biggest uh, you know fear and the biggest talking point when you talk about these franchise tags and these one-year one contracts, or the NFL contracts that don't have guaranteed money, is what happens if the guy gets hurt? And what happens if he he can't get to the point where he is worth the kind of money that everyone thought he was? Uh, my understanding of the Dak Prescott situation was that the Cowboys wanted to lock him up for a five-year deal, and he only wanted four years. He wanted the opportunity to get paid again sooner. Uh, I think from that perspective, it kind of makes sense to me. But at the same time, it, like you said, now that we see it happen, it, Dak Prescott, he's not... Like he is a a great quarterback. He has a lot of value to the Cowboys. He very much would be deserving of a top five quarterback money in the entire league. Is he that much more than that? Should he be paid anywhere close to a guy like Patrick Mahomes? I disagree. Deshaun Watson got that $40 million a year that uh, Dak wanted. Should he get that money? I don't know. I don't think so. So 
to me, it's, it's another case. Yeah, Dak gambled on himself. Uh, you know, I, I feel awful for him. I really hope that he recovers. I hope that he can continue to be a transcendent quarterback in this league. Uh, but, it, it you know, it, it was kind of a mistake on his part, in my opinion, to not commit long-term and, and take a really strong offer from the Cowboys. Well said. I mean, I, I agree with everything you said that, but, I mean, for the first, well, basically the, the, all the games that he's played on, up until that injury, he was uh, right about gambling on himself until the injury. And that's just, that's just super unfortunate. It is. It's just, it's football is a tragic game. And unfortunately, uh, you know, Dak was the victim this time. Um, I think that there is definitely a lot of discussion. Like if Dak had had a really powerful season this year, he could come back and potentially get paid more. And in which case the gamble would have paid off, but we see the result now and it didn't. So assuming that he has no issues uh, in terms of injury setbacks, he's able to come back and, you know, be the, at least look like he would be the kind of player that he has been. Do you believe the Cowboys should commit to him long-term in this off season? Uh, do you believe another team should go out and look to pay him the kind of money that he wants if Dallas doesn't? I would I would still take the gamble, but maybe not go overboard with the money. But I would still I would still pay him. Uh, I don't want, but not top dollar like Mahomes or anything. But I would still pay him. I, I would still offer them a big deal. Maybe maybe less years or less money, but some sort of decent contract for him yeah yeah i think that signing him long term would have been mutually beneficial for both of them but i don't know i i don't know how easy it is to come back from an injury like this and still be that same kind of player i mean this is probably a bad example but gordon hayward after his first very first game as a celtic he he has a similar injury and he's never been the same since yes he's come back healthy and all that but i mean has he really been the gordon hayward of what he was with the Utah Jazz not really no and I don't know if that's the best example yeah well I, I think that a kind of injury like this isn't isn't a career ruining thing it's it's not something that he can't come back from but it obviously will be difficult to try to rehab and you know immediately get back to the play that he was in this season like, he's a guy who could come out and throw for 400 yards on any game so to me, I think that the Cowboys should still, you know, stay to what they have been saying the past few days and have him be part of their long-term plans. The Cowboys have been very successful with him. Dak Prescott has won more games than almost any other quarterback in the league since he took over that team. Uh, but I do think that there is a lot of risk in just committing to him for a long time without seeing him actually get back onto the field. Uh, and if Dak decides he wants something more than the Cowboys are paying him I would not be shocked to see another team that's quarterback needy maybe doesn't have the draft position to get a guy like Trevor Lawrence uh, decide that they're gonna take the risk and and give him more of a longer commitment so my expectation is that he ends up making something good and getting a really solid deal just whether that's with Dallas or someone else uh, I think we'll we'll find out in uh, the coming months okay so uh, I guess similar Injury-related news, we had Alex Smith hadn't played in a game since uh, November 2018, a real devastating leg injury, something that not only appeared to be career-threatening, but even life-threatening. He had, I think, 20-something surgeries in the course of the the year-plus following that injury. 
uh, we got to see him on the field. Um, and the biggest reason why we got to see him play this Sunday was because the Washington football team chose to uh, demote their young starting quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, all the way from first string to third string. So before we talk about you know Alex Smith's comeback, how about we focus on Washington's decision to seemingly move on from Haskins? I mean, Kyle Island's not that much of a better option than Dwayne Haskins, but I don't know what Dwayne Haskins was proving out there for the for his first season and then for the start of this season. I don't so it doesn't really make much of a difference who's out there between the two, and I don't think Haskins has done enough to to really uh, have a lock on the starting job. Yeah, I think that you probably youth is probably the best thing he has going for him, but I haven't been impressed with Dwayne Haskins his time in the league. Right now, I just feel like their quarterback situation is uh, kind of hopeless. So Haskins has been, he's been a weird one because at times he's, he's shown promise. He's looked really good, uh, but it's, it's been few and far between. And it's only a second year. There have been plenty of other quarterbacks who it takes a while and they're able to recover. But he, he kind of was dealt a bad hand. Uh, it sounded like Jay Gruden, his former coach, didn't want him. It was a decision kind of made by uh, the the um, owner. Why can't I think of his name? It's probably not a bad thing. The Dan Snyder. Dan Snyder. Yeah, Dan Snyder. It was his decision, which... When ownership is making football moves, that's never a good thing. And then Ron Rivera comes in as a head coach, and he's not willing to commit to him long term. He trades for Kyle Allen, who he liked last year, and he was willing to ride with over Cam Newton when he got hurt last year. So, I see the Haskins situation now is interesting to me because there's there's reports that it seems like they're going to trade him, or at least look to trade him before the deadline. But I can't think of a situation where a young quarterback like this was drafted high and disappointed on a team, but then went somewhere else and became not just a, a like competent quarterback, but like an actual like franchise changer. So I, I don't really see why a team would look at Haskins right now and say, yeah, we should go and give up a lot of value to get him and believe that he's going to be our starting quarterback. I know Josh Rosen got a second round pick from Miami, Maybe some team will do that, but it just it seems like this is kind of it for him. Just based on history alone. Like how do you come back from this? I think it's uh, you know, if somebody else sees his skill set and decides that it fits better with their system, um, I don't know who that would be or if that coach even exists, you know, but that's the only way I could see that um playing out because I, I don't see a whole lot of value in him. Maybe if you could get like a mid round or, you know, you could find some sort of deal to move him, but I don't know if you can really move forward with a lot of confidence that he's the answer for uh, you at quarterback. No. And uh, I, I do think though, that the the timing of his benching was interesting. Uh, so I, I watched him play against the Cleveland Browns in week three and he really struggled. He, uh, you know, the Washington got off to an early lead. It felt like they had a lot of momentum, and he kept throwing back-breaking interceptions, and uh, all these turnovers just really did that team in. But then against Baltimore, he throws for 300 yards, doesn't throw a pick, and that's when they decide to to demote him. So I understand why people are kind of angry and really questioning the decision to, you know, give up on a quarterback like that. Uh, it does sound like there's more at play than just his on-field performance here. There has to be some stuff off the field. Right now, it's kind of a weird situation in that he's really sick. 
Uh, it's supposedly not COVID-19 related, but he uh, he was sent told not to come to the game on Sunday and hasn't been back practicing or anything. So uh, I'm, I'm really curious what's what's happening there. Uh, obviously, this could be a case where he actually is sick or it could just be, you know, him sitting out waiting. Yeah, he's to be sick traded. of he's sick of playing yeah. for the Redskins. Yeah, <coughs> coach, I I can't I can't play I can't play today. <coughs> yeah, so uh, I I am I, I I guess I will come out and say that I'm not super interested in the Steelers making a move for him and you know thinking that he'll be the franchise guy. I would much rather see Pittsburgh whenever it's time to to move on from Ben Roethlisberger, draft and develop their own guy rather than you know taking someone else's leftovers and hoping to fix him. So that being said, Alex Smith. We got to see him back on the field. Uh, did you guys get to watch him a little? I was watching on Red Zone, so they, they definitely made sure to show his first few snaps and first uh, passes. Yeah, I, I saw some of it, yeah. I so, saw that, yeah, I also saw it on Red Zone. I did yeah. also see that he got kind of beat up, too. Yeah, yeah, I guess, what, what was your reaction to seeing Alex Smith get, like, sacked and, you know, get hit for the first time? Uh, right when he came in, I was cheering in my mind, but right after that, I was terrified because of what happened and the fact that they're playing the Rams and Aaron Donald is on the other side. And I mean, have you guys heard that that's crazy stat of Alex Smith and that injury where, uh, him and Joe Theismann were, it's like literally the exact same scenarios where it's like the same yard line. This, uh, they're both tackled by the only two, three time defensive player of the years, (laughs) same date, same end of the game score. It's all these absurd stats that are aligned with Joe Theismann and Alex Smith. It, it, I, you can't make that stuff up. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, it's really nice to see him come back out. Obviously, it's like, um, like the it seems like the end of like a really uh or like a really hopeful story where it's like you know he he was able to get through all the trials of recovery and and all the surgery and it's it you know he's at the point where somebody some doctor cleared him and said he can go out there and get tackled six times by huge uh football players and that's just sacks i mean i don't know how many other times he got hit uh that weren't sacks um so on the one hand it's really cool that he's able to do that again but on the other hand it's like oh man this is the last guy i want to see getting hit so on the morning of like when i saw that alex smith was going to be the backup and that he you know in theory could get into the game i was thinking you know i don't want to root for an injury but it would be kind of cool if alex smith got a chance to get in and of course kyle allen gets hurt so alex smith gets that opportunity i thought it was awesome just you know being able to see him on the field take snaps play quarterback throw passes i did have the same reaction as everyone else when he got you know that first hit and it's like oh no but then you see him get up and you're like all right he's back like this is normal now like this is something he got through that and then, of course, kept getting sacked and sacked and hit and hit over and over again. Uh, but I think there are like so many people who was like, why is Alex Smith doing this? Like he's done all this in his career. Like he's made all this money. Why is he going out there? And, you know, I think it's a, a different situation than Ryan Shazier. But I was rooting for Shazier to come back and play. So I think it from my perspective, just seeing Alex Smith go out there and his goal was to get back and play football again. He didn't want that to be the end of his career. So I think it's awesome. Didn't play very well. The Kyle Allen, I guess, is going to be their quarterback if he's healthy moving forward. But it would be cool to see Alex Smith not only come back and play, but maybe have a little success, maybe win a game or two. I mean, it's natural for someone for you know to go through all 
all the adversity that he's gone through and having 17 surgeries, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I think it's just natural for him to say, hey, I, I don't want that to be my last play in the NFL. I got, I got to come back. And great, now he's back, but it's like, <sighs> yeah. Can, can you go now? Like, all right, you, you proved he came back. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to see you get hurt again. <laughs> yeah, and I, I get it. Um, you know, obviously it would be horrifying if he does suffer another big injury, but you know, he's he's proven a lot of people wrong uh, by by going out there. So I'm going to continue to root for him. And hey, don't look now. The the Washington football team is only a game out of first place in NFC East, so we might be able to get to see him start a playoff game. <laughs> All right, let's uh let's get into more uh reactions to actual games, some of the biggest ones from week 5, and let's start with perhaps the biggest upset of the young season. The Las Vegas Raiders go into Kansas City, knock off Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs 40 to 32. A game and uh you know, we we kind of knew that the Chiefs wouldn't go 16 and 0, but we probably didn't necessarily expect this to be the that first one in the loss column. No, not at all. But one one thing to mention, though, uh, the the Chiefs were coming off a tough week where they faced the Patriots and all the chaos that happened. And the next week after, they have to go and face Buffalo, which it was going to be Thursday night, but now it's going to be Monday night. And so two tough games uh, and sandwich in between is the Raiders, who, yes, they did prove uh, that they're definitely better than people are giving credit for, but beforehand, they... They're known as that mediocre, like six and ten team. Derek Carr just, uh, you know, uh, throw, throwing screen passes and just. I I don't think the Chiefs took him seriously. Is basically what I'm trying to say. Well, what what I learned from this game is you can't stop the Chiefs' offense. You can only hope to keep up with them. You know, this was a very entertaining game from an offensive standpoint because um, even when the Raiders appeared to be running away with it. They weren't running away with it. The Chiefs were right back at it, um, staying in the game. No lead is safe against Mahomes. So if I was going to write the like guide to beating the Chiefs, which as a 49ers fan, I'm the last person who should be writing that guide. But <laughs> if I was going to write that guide, I would say you have to keep scoring all the time. You, there's no lead is safe because Mahomes is an absolute magician uh, and he'll get the he'll get into the end zone. You just have to be able to do that more times than him. I think that this game was more about the Chiefs than the Raiders. Uh, I think the Raiders proved that they have a competent offense, that Derek Carr can still be a a solid quarterback in this league at times. I think that, to me, the Chiefs' offense, outside of that first half against the Ravens, they haven't looked all that special. They looked really, really good on prime time against a team that many believed is the most talented in the league for... 30 minutes but outside of that I mean they 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 were all right against the Texans I think that they wound up scoring some at the end to make it a little a little better than it looked uh but the Chargers barely beat them in overtime only scored 23 points Patriots totally shut down Patrick Mahomes for most of that yeah game. they had a great they had a great defensive game plan unfortunately they had sucky Brian Hoyer in that game but if it wasn't for that they definitely would have had a shot in that game yeah, I mean they they were able to really slow him down, and the the Chiefs wound up scoring. They wound up finishing with thirty two points, but like it didn't really feel like their offense was was humming in the ways that you could expect them to. I mean, Patrick Mahomes 
22 for 43. He completed fewer than 50% of his passes. And he, yeah, he threw for a lot of yards. He threw for a couple touchdowns and, you know, he led them back late, kept it a ball game. He also threw his first pick of the season. And uh, the, I don't know, the Chiefs, they, they're not scaring me in terms of being like this unstoppable offense right now. It Maybe it's only a matter of time, but, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't really think that they're this invincible team that some people have convinced themselves they are. It's crazy that it's not the case because it's not like they lost anyone. The only one they lost, the only person they lost was Damian Williams, and he he was out just because he decided to opt out. But they drafted a running back in the first round, so it's not really much of a loss, you'd think. But I don't, I don't, I don't understand it either. I, I think it's just a matter of time before they start rolling again. Did uh, did you see the like early? play in the game when uh Patrick Mahomes threw a touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill but it got called back because of holding yes yeah that that was an incredible throw if if Mahomes can make plays like that that actually count then the Chiefs might be unstoppable they'll find a way to win these games that they otherwise don't do great uh it's I was I was so upset though when that got called back like how how does that happen like a 70 yard perfect bomb to Tyler uh, Tyreek Hill over two Raiders defenders and holding doesn't count. Well, I, I mean, I f- I'm actually surprised to hear you guys kind of like, uh, you know, pumping the brakes a little bit on the Chiefs because even in this game, like the Raiders were like were doing really well. Like Derek Carr was th- like passing deep balls with consistency. They went for it twice on fourth down and converted, and that's. That was a big difference in this game. The Chiefs also went for it on fourth down and didn't get it. Uh, it was actually the Mahomes pick. It was I couldn't believe they went for it. It was ridiculous, kind of. Um, but because uh, it was fourth and seven from their own twenty-eight, um, like yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, when you've got Mahomes, maybe you try that. But it did definitely did not work for them. Um, but I, I don't know. Like like I said, I feel like the Chiefs are never I'm, out of it. I'm, and I'm not I'm not totally sold on the Raiders yet. I mean. They did beat the Saints on Monday night, and they did they just upset the Chiefs. So there's it's definitely heading in the right direction, especially now that they drafted a receiver as well in Rugs. But he also only had two catches. So I don't know how much stock I can put into that. Aguilar had a nice ca- deep deep catch as well. Waller's one of the best tight ends in the league. Josh Jacobs, Jacobs can is, keep Josh Jacobs. He can churn, is good. man. He can. He was important on that last drive when they needed to get the clock. Uh, you know, drain that clock. Uh, he's a great running back to have in that situation. And that's the kind of thing, like if you run too many iterations, if you give Mahomes too many, the ball too many times, he's going to score a bunch of times, you know? So ha- being able to control the ground game like that is important. I think the the Raiders executed an excellent game plan. And John Gruden, you know what they said? 10 years, $100 million, they, w- yeah. one Super Bowl, you know? So he's well on his way. Uh, so I, I I think it was great to see Gruden get a win like this. I so going into the season, I, I was really high on the Broncos, and then the the whole team decided to get injured, and that's uh, totally gone off the rails. I I do absolutely believe that the Raiders can be a playoff contender. Uh, I I think that this is the kind of game that that proves that okay, that this isn't necessarily a team to mess around with. But I I would like to see them do this a little more consistently, because we've seen teams beat great teams in the past and not be able to replicate it against more similar competition. So 
Um, I'm going to say the jury's still out on them. I'm not totally giving up on the Chiefs yet, but this is the kind of game you're like, all right, hey, maybe this this is a – even say like they're like a 12-4 and 4 team like last year where they're not the number one seed. They lose a few games. You're like, how did they lose that game? That I feel like that's kind of where we're trending with this team again. Doesn't mean they can't win the Super Bowl. Just I lo- I'm loving my I'm loving my Super Bowl pick right now. A team that lost to the Raiders when they were 13 point favorites, and a team that just lost their quarterback. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's looking good right now. Uh, well, I guess you know. Speaking of uh, Super Bowl picks and Super Bowl favorites, <laughs> the Seattle Seahawks are five and zero. So, oh, okay. I thought you were going to say something else. Um, I thought, I oh, thought so no, too. No. <laughs> hey, you know what? We'll, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get we'll get there. Um, now, up next, we have the uh, the Seahawks Vikings game. So the Seahawks uh, keep finding ways to win, and uh, in another remarkable fashion, they down thirteen nothing at the half, and then they go out and uh, oh yeah, Russell Wilson figures out how to score three touchdowns in like two minutes and all of a sudden the the Seahawks are in great position. Vikings retake the lead, have a chance to ice it at the end. Fourth and one from the Seattle six-yard line uh, inside two minutes. First down wins the game. Field goal puts Seattle up by eight and uh, they decided to run the ball. Don't get it. So I think that right away that's that's a big thing. I know that's something that Brian wanted to talk about while we're discussing this game. Uh, so Brian, what what is your what are your thoughts on Coach Mike Zimmer's decision to go for it there? I I wasn't a fan of it. I mean, it's easy to say that in hindsight, but I I wasn't a huge fan of it. I would have gone for the field goal, but I'm not gonna totally rip him because if you get one yard, the game is over. And another thing to mention, you guys remember that playoff game versus the same team in Seattle where. They're down ten to nine, I think it was, in mm-hmm. the freezing cold weather, and no, it wasn't ten to nine. Yeah, it was ten to nine. They're, it was 12, 10 to nine. Is it okay. ten to nine or twelve to ten? I think it was ten to right. nine. Right, I think yeah. Okay, so that is right then. And they're marching down the field, and Blair Walsh all he needs to do is hit a twenty-yard field goal, and the game's over, and he misses it. And I, I just wonder, I, <laughs> I feel like that scarred. Mike Zimmer, and that's in the back of his mind. Like, oh, we should go for the field goal. Oh, no, no, we, we can't go. For, we gotta go for it. We gotta go for it. <laughs> so I, I think it was the wrong move, but I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna say he should be fired for it or anything. But it was the wrong move. Well, just like more, speaking more generally about the Seahawks. Oh gosh, it's so hard to watch as a Niners fan. They're everything we wish we had. Which is like a undeniably amazing quarterback, Russell Wilson. Oh my! I like I I hate him because of the team he plays on, but I love this guy. He, this off season, he gave himself a nickname, Mister Unlimited, I believe. Um, and it reminded me of when Paul George gave himself the nickname Playoff P when he was on the Thunder. And I was like, okay, when you give yourself a nickname, you definitely you're destined to embarrass yourself. Instead, he was Russell destined Wilson, to be limited. Exactly, but he's not. He's been unstoppably good. Like he's arguably the best quarterback playing football right now, and you know I'm not going to deny that. Especially when you have a guy like DK Metcalf, who again he was doubted in the draft. It was like his the way that his stock went was like he wasn't really on anybody's radar. Then everyone saw him with his shirt off, and then his draft stock skyrocketed, <laughs> yeah, and then top all 10 the pick. and then all the NFL like mega minds and and you know galaxy brains were like, no, he's actually bad. That and all the normies think he's good, and then he suddenly comes out 
well, he comes out and is amazing with the help of a great quarterback, no doubt, but also on his own merit as well. Um, this team looks amazing, and it doesn't really seem to matter what kind of talent you put around Russell Wilson. He can will you to victory. Um, and it's, I don't know, we're watching history. It's unfortunate that I wasn't alive during the Niners quarterback era where it was Joe Montana and Steve Young. I'm witnessing that era for the Seahawks, and it is what it is, man. They're, it's greatness. We're witnessing it. If you guys haven't heard the Mike Lombardi's analysis on DK Metcalf and and Nikhil Harry, where he's just crapping on DK Metcalf and saying, "Oh, Nikhil Harry, he's the next big thing," <laughs> got must watch uh, video of his analysis on those two because it's trash. And yes, DK Metcalf has been awesome, as well as Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett. That whole offense is amazing to watch. Yeah, so I mean, I guess kind of combining the last few points about the Vikings uh, going for it uh, and Russell Wilson being amazing, I think that's a reason why Minnesota should have. Because not only do they only need a yard, they had 201 rushing yards. You get it, you win the game. And, you know, if you kick the field goal, who's to say Russell Wilson isn't going to just go down the field you, on you, tie it, and win you, the game? And you got to get, you, you got to get the end zone twice, though. Well, no, he would, yeah, end. with the two-point conversion. They didn't get the two-point conversion, two conversion, but he still went 94 yards down the field. and like That's why I'm not totally ripping yeah, Mike it's, Zimmer. But it's I just, incredible but I still, how good I still Russell Wilson is. And I still would have gone for the field. Even against Russell Wilson, I still would because it makes it an eight-point game. I, I think you go for the win there. You don't give Wilson any chance, and you still feel like you're in a good spot. I think they showed the math. An, it, it didn't and, change. And it's another thing. It is fourth and... It is fourth and one. It's not like it was fourth and six either. No, it's so, I mean, absolutely again, one something. yard. Yeah, and you were you, they were running the now Cook was out, but Madison was running the ball pretty well. You could also QB sneak it. I mean, see, that's why I don't I can see why you go for on fourth and one, but I would have rather if I'm if I'm the coach in that situation, I would rather go for the field goal. And as as great as the Seahawks offense has been, their defense is is uh, a lot of question marks. And they, I don't want to use the term frauds when talking about the Seahawks because I think that Russell Wilson is a kind of quarterback who can overcome uh, not having a great defense. But they don't really feel like this like I, best team in the I, league I, to me at five and zero. Oh. I've I thought this last year where they were all the way they made it all the way to the divisional round versus Green Bay and they were in it late in the game and I'm think all I'm thinking is. Man, outside of Russ, Lockett, and Metcalf, this team kind of, sneaky kind of stinks because their defense is, it, it, especially their secondary. Now that the Legion of Boom isn't there, yeah, anymore, I mean, not, not having really Jamal Adams healthy is, uh, and then that, doesn't do and him any exactly. favors. Right. Well, uh, one thing I'd like to bring up, though, is just delivering in the clutch. You can be bad all game, but if you make the bright play and give Russ a chance or, you know, Russ has already given you the points, all you have to do is get a stop. They've done that. I mean, just obviously we talked about the Vikings game, but look back at the Patriots game. The Patriots easily could have won that game if Cam could have converted on the goal line, but he didn't. The Seahawks, who had been taken advantage of on some of those Cam Newton power run plays, found a way to stop him when it really mattered and and you get the dub. So I, I, as I agree with you guys that obviously the defense is um, low key, like not that good. If you, if you can get the result you need, that's all you need. You don't have to be the best defense in the league. No. And this, the Seahawks team, it, it's kind of starting to remind me of the 2018 chiefs where you have such an unstoppable offense that it 
makes up for really bad defense. But come playoff time, I, I do think that'll be an issue. They really need to figure that out. Or if you're Ben and a 49ers fan, never figure it out. So Exactly. Yeah. God. <laughs> it's a tough time to be a Niners fan when the Seahawks are this good. Um. So, you know, why not mix up the order while we're talking about them? Let's just jump right into your 49ers. And uh, this this past week was a pretty brutal one. They yeah. not only lose to the Miami Dolphins, they lose really badly. Jimmy Garoppolo was benched. Now, he did come back from injury. You can kind of say, oh, he was rushed back. You didn't want to, him to get hurt when the, the game was out of hand. But he did throw two really ugly interceptions. And I guess right away I'm going to ask you – how on a scale of one to ten, how panicked are you about Jimmy Garoppolo? Okay, so ten being the most panicked. Yes, I'm like at at least a five. Um, I think I'm on the lesser end of panic as far as Niners fans go because Jimmy was not healthy going into this game. He didn't even finish a full practice that that uh, that week. I think Kyle knew that his backup quarterbacks are not going to win him football games, and he forced Jimmy into a situation where he wasn't ready to play and. Despite Jimmy not necessarily being like a mobile quarterback, he does need his ability to move around in the pocket to be good. We've seen what happens to him when he plays injured. We saw what he looked like right when he came back from the ACL injury early last season where he was not looking as good. It's important for him to be healthy, and he wasn't. So I think that Kyle Shanahan, and you can see that further exemplified by pulling him at halftime. I can't remember when I've seen that, where it's like, He's still our starter, but like he's just not going to play the second half. Like, wh- how- <laughs> yeah. that is a horrible, horrible look. And honestly, uh, this feeling that I had when that happened, I haven't felt since like 2017, where it felt like we didn't even deserve to be on the field with another NFL team. We were such a just disoriented mess. And I just, I really question Kyle Shanahan's decision making and putting Jimmy in that position because it's clear he wasn't ready. So I think. I think a healthy Jimmy plays better than this version of him, but still, yeah, it, it was just a really bad look. I mean, I, like Jimmy uh, also didn't get a lot of help from his offensive line. Like Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey have forgotten how to play football over the last couple of weeks, which is really bad because those are our best offensive linemen. Okay, and horrible offensive line lead offensive line play leads to horrible QB play, um, and. You know, vice versa as well. Jimmy wasn't really doing them any favors. We have Kittle. We have Debo. We have Ayuk. They're all healthy. We need to be able to get them the ball. So I'm still disappointed in what Jimmy did. But I also think that he was set up to fail in being put in that situation. That's one half of it. That's one half of this train wreck. Then you can go to the other side of the ball. Brian Allen. Who? Right? I I did not know who this guy was. Number 48 getting onto the field. Corey, you might recognize his name. he used to play for the Steelers, right? Because yeah. he did used to play for the Steelers. <laughs> In fact, that was the most recent team he played for. He played a combined 16 games in 2017 2018 and hasn't played since i I was gonna say yeah i didn't i didn't think so but here's the thing i actually don't blame brian allen as much as i blame robert sala because he put brian allen in a position to be absolutely destroyed we play a very basic cover three defense for the most part where it's built to try to emulate what the legion of boom did and the reason it works is because if you have really good players playing all those positions it, it's really hard to get through, but we didn't have that this week. And Robert Sala set us up like we did. And over 100 of Fitzpatrick's first 150 passing yards were on Brian Allen. 
Fitzpatrick just to set. It doesn't take a Harvard Galaxy brain to decide who to throw to when you've got that kind of coverage going on. Eventually, the in- injury plagued Akello Witherspoon, who was like questionable for this game, went in to replace him. But by that time, it was way too late. We were already completely annihilated uh, and out of this game. Like I said, this felt like a 2017 49ers game. Like it, it, we looked like we didn't deserve to be there. We shouldn't have been there. Um, all the injuries that happened to the Niners this year, we've, we've not, we've been one of the worst. Earlier this week, I saw a stat where we are leading the league in names on IR. Uh, you know, you talk about Richard Sherman, Emmanuel Mosley, uh, obviously Nick Bosa. Like we have lost some guys who matter right so we we're not going to have the defense from last year we need the offense to step up and they're not doing that right now i i really fear a first to worst performance in the nfc west for these niners if we can't get things turned around after looking at the reactionary take on sunday is that this season is all but over um, and we are scheduled to play on sunday night football so i'm not i'm not Super optimistic about that. But let me just give you my spin on it because I never give up on the Niners for the most part. I have before, but not yet (laughs) this season. (laughs) If Jimmy gets healthy and the offensive line play improves, some of our people on defense can come back. Mosley and Sherman should be back at some point. We can helpfully improve and be a little bit like we were last year. But I think that this Niners team is in such disarray and their schedule is so hard moving forward that things don't look good. Okay, well, I I have talked about Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers uh, the past couple podcasts we've done. So after week one, uh, we had a burning question, what team should be the most worried uh, based on the just a singular first week? And I said the 49ers. Jimmy G did not look all that great. He threw a horrible pass to George Kittle that got him injured. And they lost to an Arizona Cardinals team who looks like they're on the come up. One thing you said, the NFC West being going from first to worst in the NFC West isn't all that difficult with how good the NFC West is this year. We already said Seattle's five and zero, Rams are four and one, Arizona's three and two. Being two and three might get you first place in the NFC East, but it gets you fourth in the NFC West. And then two weeks ago, there was more talk about Jimmy Garoppolo and how the 49ers were able to beat the Giants pretty convincingly with Nick Mullins. Now. It was the Giants. The Giants are basically no better than the Jets, who we've already ripped on on this episode. And my my thought was, okay, Nick Mullins, he's not better than Jimmy G, but is he $25 million a year worse? No. And I think what I've seen now, of course, you can play the injury card with him and he can turn things around. But what I've been seeing with Jimmy Garoppolo to this point does not give me confidence that he should be the 49ers quarterback beyond this season when his guaranteed money runs out. There's still plenty of time to figure that out for him to get healthy, for him to you know turn things around. But I, I, I'm a little more panicked on him than you are. And I think you know as a 49ers fan, I think it's probably a good thing that you're not and that you're still optimistic about him. But I, I don't know. I, I just. I think that there's a lot going against him and there's not a lot going for him. When you throw in, you know, how great the defense was last year, he was able to take a really good defense, game manage his way to the Super Bowl, take away half that defense, and all of a sudden the team's looking like maybe not the 2017 version of themselves, but I mean the, the 2014 version at best, right before Harbaugh left. So, well, I mean, that's a completely different set of guys, but no, like, I know. Uh, but like in terms of like a, a mediocre middle of the pack type team, 
Well, okay. When when you talk about Nick Mullins um, against the Jets, uh, like that was you saying like the difference between him and Jimmy Garoppolo. Did you see Nick Mullins? Um, oh, a little against bit the Eagles, later he against the good. Eagles, yeah, he was. I agree. We would have given twenty five million dollars to not have him in that game. Okay, yeah. like it's <laughs> it's. I, the thing is, I've I've watched these Niners since in the the whole every game in the Kyle Shanahan era. We have been absolute garbage in all of them except the ones we've had Jimmy. Okay, but mostly we Nick Mullins did have an epic the Battle of the Bay, the final Battle of the Bay where, where the Raiders and Niners played for the last time. Nick Mullins was great in that game. I'll give him that. But this this team falls apart as soon as Jimmy Garoppolo is gone, and he's been the only like actual dominant success we've had. I know it's a lot of the times it's through the run game. I know a lot of times it's through dominant defense. But without Jimmy at the at the wheel, these Niners are they're out of, they're they're terrible. So I'm not ready to give up on him unless there's a clear option somewhere else. And again, I I am willing to play the injury card in this situation because Jimmy has been playing. Well, he got hurt week two, and then he's been hurt. So I I I don't agree with playing him this game because he was injured, like I said. And um, hopefully, if he can get things together and get healthy, we can see something change in this offense. Um, But I am in the minority. A lot of 49ers fans are already sounding the alarms making photoshops of Trevor Lawrence in a 49ers uniform and, uh, you know, calling for change. It's a, it's a tough time. I'm not suggesting that Jimmy should be benched for Nick Mullins or CJ Beathard. I think that the team should continue to ride it out. But if, uh, you know, things don't really get all that much better as guys start to get healthy, including him, maybe not Trevor Lawrence, but Dak Prescott, if Dallas doesn't want him, I think Matt that Ryan. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so that, that one is actually what I'm afraid Ryan of. with Kyle is Shanahan that, is that yeah. yes. Kyle Shanahan will say he's yeah. my he has guy. that connection with him. In and it will be just good enough to be mediocre and be the eighth seed in the NFC consistently. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll see, but I'm, you know, against popular opinion. I'm, I'm, I'm currently still on board with Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I mostly agree with everything Corey said that, I mean, you lose all, not all the pieces on defense, but you lose a lot Enough of, like of Nick them. Bosa, yeah. yeah, Solomon Thomas, and then yeah, Mosley and Sherman for, for and Kwan Williams. A lot of people undervalue what he does in that 49ers defense, and he's he's really important. We don't have our starting three cornerbacks right now, like that. It's yeah, it's just that when you lose all those pieces on defense, you're looking to the offense to be the one that carries the team. And they do have a lot of pieces on their offense. And George George Kittle has also been out for multiple weeks. He had that one great game with Nick Mullins at quarterback. But I don't know. Their wins have come against two winless teams in the New York teams. So I don't. I don't. I wouldn't feel good if I were if I were a Niners fan. But yeah, like I know. Said, I mean, we're, we're definitely talking about like hoping that COVID ends this season early, stop the bleeding, because it only feels like it can get worse. But um, yeah, I've said my piece. Okay, well, yeah, let, let's uh, let's move on and uh, you know, let's let's talk about a team that, as a fan of, I'm not hoping COVID ends this season early because the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, are four zero, and they they knock off the Eagles thirty eight to twenty nine. Rookie wide receiver Chase Claypool with a monster breakout game, four touchdowns, three receiving, one rushing, and it kind of feels like this is the same thing that's happened with the Steelers every game this year they play a inferior opponent and 
They find a way to win. Their offense is good enough. Their defense makes some plays here and there, but doesn't look as elite as they are. And uh, I'm happy this team's undefeated, but I understand why a lot of people are saying, oh, look at the schedule. Who have you beat? And like, there's reason for skepticism about this team. So, um, Brian, I imagine you kind of have those same thoughts that you've continued to have no, throughout the that's season. Literally, that's literally what I was just about to say. I've, I, My thoughts from week one to now have not changed whatsoever. They've played easy opponents, but they have beaten those easy opponents. And we've seen on offense what they can do with the weapons that they have. And their receivers show up like Claypool just this past week. He had an awesome game. Four touchdowns. Is four that touchdowns, true? Four touchdowns. Yeah. Four touchdowns, one of them rushing. That's that's awesome. So I wish the Patriots could get guys like that, but that's unfortunate. The Steelers yeah. can't yeah. stop getting guys like that. I just feel like they're <laughs> yeah. it's that's why I, that's why I said I think it was last episode or two episodes ago. Whatever whoever runs that department at Pittsburgh, bring them to New England so we could get guys like that. It's, the only time I think Belichick's ever drafted a good receiver was Edelman, and that was the seventh round, and he was a quarterback in college. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't even know if that counts. Yeah, the Steelers are amazing with developing wide receiver talent, and Chase Claypool is just the latest iteration. Yeah, I, I, my opinion has not changed much with the Steelers. They have a great defense. They got some good pieces on offense. Let's see if they can beat better teams coming up in their schedule. So the Steelers' offense scored 30-plus points uh, in a game for the first time since 2018. Uh, last season, they didn't top 30 at all with Mason Rudolph and Doc Hodges, and they weren't able to in their first three games. So I'm I'm happy about the offensive performance. I don't think that Chase Claypool is going to score four touchdowns every single game. Uh, there's going to you know have to be other guys involved moving forward. But I am starting to get nervous about this defense, particularly the secondary. And... I, you know, Joe Hayden keeps getting lots of pass interference calls. Some of them have been questionable. Others, not as much. Steven Nelson had two picks this week, which is was cool. He only had one all of last season. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, is, he has been a non-factor at all. And last season, the argument at the end of the year was teams are just completely avoiding him, which was true. But that's not even the case. Like the, the Eagles were throwing it, and Fitzpatrick was there. He hasn't been making any plays. And I think at the Steelers defense is going to be as great as they were last season as great as everyone expects them to be this season and beat teams that aren't the yeah new york giants and denver broncos and the philadelphia eagles that they're going to need him to step up and uh I'm, I'm still waiting for that to happen i think that this week is a huge test for them because they get to go up against the cleveland browns who have also won four straight and uh that again brings us to their game as they they knock off the Indianapolis Colts and uh you know Brian and I have been anti-Cleveland for a while Ben when you did our season preview episode you were all on the Browns well, hype trains so. I do I feel like I was kind of pushed into a corner because we were going for like dark horses and trying to be bold and I feel like I went the boldest of all by by claiming that these Browns were going to make the playoffs and um I'm not feeling so bad about it right now. You know, I, I agree that uh, this is a big week for both them and the Steelers to see like who these teams really are. Because I'll admit, beating the Bengals, not that impressive. Beating the football team, also not that impressive. Uh, but, the, the I mean, and also the Cowboys, you can have your opinions. That was an amazing game. And then the Colts. That's a I, I think the Colts are a very talented football team. At the very least, that defense is good. And... Um, 
I thought they looked great. I think they could have looked better. Baker Mayfield seemed like he was trying to lose this game <laughs> towards the end. They came out to a roaring start and then started being a little bit, um, you know, not so safe with the football. But when they can get that run game going, that strong run game, and then they start, they add in the play action where you've got Baker Mayfield, like when they really fool the defense and Baker Mayfield's just standing by himself and all the defense runs to the other side of the field, he's throwing to two amazing perimeter wide receivers. That's going to be tough to stop and even if you don't think Baker Mayfield's very accurate he you know a lot of quarterbacks can make completions to Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham so I, I really like what I've seen out of this Browns offense so far I'm more anti-Baker than I, I am anti-Cleveland as well but I'm more anti-Baker than anything and in the last couple of games especially the Dallas game I, I kind of proves me proves me right a little bit they ran for I think 300 rushing yards in that game with Odell uh, actually contributing to that as well. And even Chubb, Chubb missing most of that game, they were still able to run through having have 300 plus rushing yards in that game. So I think they're still hiding Baker a little bit. And I, I don't have a hundred percent, hundred percent faith in them whatsoever. Let's see if he can do it against even a better defense uh, in Pittsburgh next week. The Browns rushing attack has been, uh, you know, just about as unstoppable as you can be this year. Uh, you know, that Dallas game was unreal, how well they did running the ball. I don't know if that's necessarily a knock against Baker Mayfield, though. Uh, I know Baker hasn't put up great numbers, but they haven't necessarily needed him to, and they've still been able to win these games. Uh, I do think that Pittsburgh will be a tough test. Uh, you know, I know the secondary hasn't looked all that great, but the Steelers' run defense has been a little better. So I'm 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 interested to see how they do against this Cleveland rushing attack if they force Baker to pass the football downfield and if he can actually continue to find Jarvis Landry and Odo Beckham and and burn these teams like he's been able to on you know, at least the occasional play. I I'm not so I guess going into the season I decided to take the anti-Browns stance but for a long time I was actually kind of high on this team and the fact that I thought last season was just so bad that everyone would be so down on them that they would just they wouldn't have the same hype and they'd actually be able to play like the really good football team they are and to this point they've been able to do that now I don't know if the Colts are I, I know a lot of people are really high on them I don't necessarily consider this as huge of a win as it could have been but uh, they'll, they'll certainly get a tough test in, when they head to Pittsburgh this week. And you get the return of Miles Garrett uh, against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he's been so good this he's year. He's looked like, so good. Like, six sacks As already. advertised when you take a number one guy, you know? Like, he's yeah. been everything you want in that kind of defensive player. Yeah, and there's certainly been a narrative uh, with the Miles Garrett against the Steelers, even though Mason Rudolph's hopefully not even going to play in this game. Uh, I really don't think that there's a reason to continue talking. Do you think he'll come, he'll run (laughs) off the field to attack him? Like just, he's not even playing. He just wants to grab a helmet and swing for him. Yeah. Who's our third? Is it Doug Hodges still as her third guy? No, it's uh, Josh Dobbs. Josh Dobbs. I would put in, I would, oh, okay. I was going to say if, if Ben gets there, I would just put in someone else. Just put in Dobbs. Yeah. Just make make Rudolph, don't even allow him in the (laughs) field. Make sure Rudolph doesn't get in there. Yeah. Just say he's sick with Dwayne Haskins and leave him outside (laughs) the stadium. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a huge game. Like, 
the, the this is a Cleveland Browns Super Bowl, so you know hopefully the the Steelers can can step up and and continue their uh, f- you know undefeated start. This is their first time four and zero since nineteen seventy nine. So um, I'm I'm optimistic about this one, but I will admit that the Browns have been much better than uh, I expected to this point. I'll take it. All right, so that will wrap things up for the NFL, and uh, you know let's let's talk about it. So. This Sunday, the King won yet another championship in dominant fashion, I might add. Is it time to reopen the greatest of all time debate? Because the King of Clay, Rafa Nadal, won the French Open in straight sets over Novak Djokovic, 102 all-time at Roland Garros. Is there anyone better than Nadal in the game of tennis right now? Uh, just an a unbelievable win for my guy. 20th Grand Slam, 13th French Open title. How are we feeling about that? Congratulations are certainly due. You know, this is a type of achievement. You have to respect greatness, and it, it's just great that you bring it up on a, on a sports podcast like this. He's the king of clay. That's all I'll say. <laughs> and I did not mean to rhyme that at all whatsoever. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, that, that's it for sports this episode, right? Well, I think you, as other royalty, I think you might have to pay tribute to, Corey. If we're going to say that the king of clay is worth bringing up, certainly other flat surfaces are worth mentioning. All right, fine. Let's talk about it. Uh, LeBron James, Los Angeles Lakers, won a glorified AAU tournament on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lakers. <laughs> ben, you talk about it. You You go into this. You, you well, get us started. Yeah. <laughs> I heard some people say that this was the most difficult ring to win because you had Nick to do Ray. it within the bubble. Yeah. Is that these external factors that no other championship team has ever had to deal with? Um, honestly, you know, it, it is weird. It's a unique season, um, but I, I still think it's great to see LeBron in his old age playing like uh, he's still in his prime and, and still imposing his will on the other uh, teams in the. NBA. I do think it's interesting. People will put an asterisk on this championship for the opposite reason I'm saying. Like you could say it's the toughest one to get. Other people are saying it's the easiest one to get because uh there's no home field advantage for other teams or you know, I know that they're the number 1 seed, but like it, things are so different that it could potentially give you a competitive advantage. Not to mention there was no Golden State Warriors. So like I think that that would have been true whether or not you had the bubble, but you had great teams in the bubble. You, we saw a lot of great basketball, and I'm not going to dig that away from LeBron James. I think, and his teammates, by the way, who also won, um, and they're they're yes, worth let's, celebrating. Let's give as shout well. out to his teammates, Anthony Davis. You know, good on him, former Pelican legend. Like, I'm sorry that Dell Dems couldn't build a team around him, but he he gets to go there. He led this team. Like, he the Lakers don't win a title without Anthony Davis. Can we all agree on that? Like, they couldn't make the playoffs last season. They bring in Anthony Davis, and they're the best team in the league. So, to me, Anthony Davis, I know that they gave LeBron the MVP award because Adam Silver made them. They had to, but Anthony Davis, you're well, the hold MVP. hold on, hold on. Is book. that true? Is that actually um, – can you make, a, like, a sports-based reason why you believe LeBron James didn't deserve it? I mean – if you look at the stats, LeBron probably did deserve to win finals MVP, but Anthony Davis didn't really play all that great in the two games that the the Lakers lost. So when he played well, they won. When he struggled, they didn't. You know, it kind of tells you the value, right? Uh, you know, all that being said, though, like, 
yeah, I, I'm not going to discredit the Lakers championship because it happened in a bubble. I think it's ridiculous to say it means anything more, especially like, you know, they, if this wasn't in a bubble, the Miami Heat don't go to the finals. They don't beat Milwaukee if they have to go on the road. The Clippers don't lose to the Nuggets. The Lakers don't get to avoid them. You know, all this talk about LeBron having like the, you know, this easy time in the East, like he needs to go out west. Oh, he finally wins there. He had an even easier path to the finals in the in this one season in the West than he ever had in the Eastern Conference. So yeah, once the Denver Nuggets beat the LA Clippers in seven, that's the the Lakers are crowned champions in that moment. Yeah, and like yeah, the Lakers were able to survive the adversity. They didn't fall victim to you know what the happened in the Milwaukee Bucks or to what happened in the Los Angeles Clippers. So great, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. I'll give them that kind of respect. I just. It's just it's another championship, and to me, like this, this doesn't necessarily change anything for me. Like when I I look at just comparing LeBron versus Michael Jordan, LeBron winning this title, it doesn't it doesn't affect how I I view that that battle. Well, sure, and people, I I hate the goat debate. It, there's just two. Like first off, if you're gonna go off straight rings, and it's still not even close. And it's mm-hmm. also like a different era. There's so many different factors. LeBron James has won with multiple teams. Jordan had one team. Like it, it just uh, let's let's leave that behind. But I mean, isn't it impressive that the Lakers were so bad last year and now they're so good? I know you said that Anthony Davis is the only reason, but obviously LeBron James is on this team too, and he's a he's a big contributor. Like I. I I don't know. I feel like people get caught up in their hatred of LeBron James and miss, you know, witnessing greatness. He's been good for so long. He's, you know, gone beyond the hype that uh, we saw in that young teenage LeBron. Um, Not to mention that we got to see another champion who returned to, you know, uh, winning the league, which is Celtics legend um, Rajon Rondo, when he was, uh, you know, awesome. I love the way that he plays basketball, so it was really cool to see him win again as well. I don't understand how Rondo is like a mediocre player in the regular season, but in the playoffs he plays like he did ten years ago. Like he just doesn't try until the playoffs start. Uh, I mean, that's a tough one for me. Because I loved Rondo when he was in Boston. I think he's far enough removed that it's like that just feels so distant. And it's like, I, I don't want to see him win with the Lakers. Like, it, you know, good for him. But I'm not like, oh, I'm like so glad Rondo got another ring. And he was my fourth favorite player at best on the Celtics team. So I'm not, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Brian? Yeah, it sucks that he wanted the Lakers, and he's the first to do it. Right, he's the first player to who's win a ever title won with both a... the Celtics and the Lakers. Yeah, he's the first player Probably. to ever do it with both. Wow, that's that's, that's impressive. Feels surprising, but like at the same time, player movement really wasn't the same thing back in the day. And I like, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head that would have been on the 08 Celtics and 2010 Lakers. So I got nothing. No, I think yeah. I saw that on Bleacher th- Reporters. I believe it. Yeah, that that NBA Finals matchup is. My least favorite thing about the NBA is that no matter how much you can overachieve, talent is going to trump everything. I mean, look at the Miami Heat. Like you said, they hadn't, they weren't going to make the NBA Finals if it wasn't for wasn't in a bubble. It would have, they probably would have been bounced in the second round. But they, they had one superstar in Jimmy Butler, and then they had an All Star and Bam Adebayo who destroyed the Celtics. But then he got killed by Anthony Davis, and they play that three-two zone defense, and they got a great coach, and we got. A great, hardworking team. Uh, we have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. We're gonna kill you guys. That's <laughs> that's basically what the, that's that's what the NBA is. Talent is gonna eventually 
uh, win over an overachieving team. And another thing I hate as a biased Celtics fan, I just hate that the Lakers front office did literally nothing to to win that. Uh, it, it it took LeBron just saying, uh, hey, I, I want to play with you guys. I want to play in with the Lakers, given the history. Uh, great, great. Next year, uh, yeah, I, I want to bring in Anthony Davis so I can play with him as a great deal. And then they win. That's it. That's all it took. It didn't take all this uh, c- calculating and uh, great draft picks. Yeah, they got great draft picks, and they traded them all. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hate that they're – it's always going to be – Los Angeles is always going to be a destination for for players, and no matter how great the Celtics front office is, and and fleecing Brooklyn and getting all these draft picks, no one's going to care about Boston because it's not really a destination because it's cold and L.A. is warm and has women and has everything. That's and that's what sucks. <laughs> I want to I want to bring up one other thing that's cool about the Lakers winning is that Danny Green has now won with three different teams. That's pretty cool, just like LeBron. Just like LeBron, yeah. See, it's not even unique to LeBron. Like, let's make Danny Green the greatest of all time. He's one of three teams. I mean, Corey, listen to yourself. It would be uh, no. It would be <laughs> it would be like even more incredible to say that if he actually hit that three pointer in Game Five, like mm. had that John Paxson, Steve Kerr moment. Instead, he left it short. And uh, I know so many Lakers fans were tired of this guy because he just could not shoot like he was able to in San Antonio and Toronto, and. That's another thing. It just still didn't stop the Lakers. So oh, that's that's another that's another thing I hate. That as a again biased Celtics fan, I firmly believe that 08 Celtics team that basically every guy on that team was important. Like not just the big three, but also Perkins and Rondo, but also James Posey, Eddie House, Leon Poe, PJ Brown. I can go on and on about that Celtics bench. It was an awesome bench, and not just the big three that contributed. The Lakers. All those guys, even Rondo. I mean, I like I, I'm, I'm glad Rondo helped with the Celtics, but it, LeBron, Anthony Davis, everyone else is replaceable. So, That's just me. I'll, I'll disagree on that in some sense. I think Kentavious Caldwell Pope was really good for this team. Uh, he was someone who was really a, like a bust ever since he showed up there. I think he was a, a key player on this team. I think Dwight Howard was a key player on this team. I think it's kind of remarkable that, that Dwight Howard uh, was able to win an NBA championship in Orlando because it really felt like his career was totally off the rails before coming to the Lakers. Uh, I, I think that you know they had some legitimate pieces on this team. It wasn't just those two guys. They wouldn't be able to win with just those two guys. Kyle Kuzma. I know so many Kyle Lakers Kuzma's fans hate good. on him. Kyle, I don't get it. Kyle, Kyle Kuzma is good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's not like Brandon Ingram, but... He's still a solid but, but he, piece. He's, like, I'm just mad. I'm just mad that the Lakers won. I know. Just, no, I, 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 know, I, I can tell. That. You guys I are living the well. salt life over here. Yeah, we are living salty the salty are. Life. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I'm just pissed. Admit, listen, what, listen. I'm, uh, uh, no, go, go ahead, ahead, Ben. Go ahead. Okay, well, I'll admit I wasn't that excited about the finals themselves because it felt like the Lakers was such a sure thing. Like Game one, especially watching Jimmy Butler – um, Bam Adebayo, and then two of their three best players Goran were Dragic. out. Yeah, yeah Dragic. Dragic. Yeah, they, they all, all got, got hurt. Adebayo. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this is over. This is like last year when the Warriors fell apart for injuries. Except this time, it's the worst team that's having yeah. that happen to them. Uh, so it's it's really not going to be entertaining. Um, and I did watch some of it, but we all, I think, from game one, we all knew who was going to win. So for that, yeah, it was anticlimactic. Um, but just going all the way back. Um, 
to when Kobe Bryant died and to, to see the Lakers who just recently were so like laughably bad uh, go and I know it's LeBron James and all the narratives with him follow it. It is almost like a movie to have them win the NBA this year, especially with everything that's going on. Yeah. So just from like the neutral fans perspective, I thought that was really cool. I agree with that. And I, I hate that I can't enjoy that the Lakers won following Kobe's death. Uh, just because there's so many guys that I just don't like and didn't want to see win, uh, because that that I agree that'd be really remarkable um, just to be able to appreciate that. Because I had, I had nothing against Kobe Bryant. Like he was on my fantasy basketball team in the 2008-09 season, and he was my best player, and I loved him. I rooted for the Lakers over the Magic in the NBA Finals that year. Um, so you know, I, I was really shocked when he died. Definitely very sad about that. And I will say that it is cool for. Los Angeles and, and Lakers fans that uh, the team was able to uh, pull out the, the title, uh, you know, just a few months after his passing. It's scary because they're only going to get better, too. I mean, LeBron well, might. LeBron might dec- a free agent. Okay, LeBron might decline, but <laughs> AD is only going to get better. And he's he's going to stay, of course, because they just want to. I don't know. Him. He has when a he chance. He wants to prove he's the man by himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just won a title. Like, why not? Leave and go play for the same team as the GOAT, your hometown Chicago Bulls, and try to win a championship there. Like, why not do that, right? Or go to a team with lots of draft picks in Oklahoma City. Uh, never I take my talents to the Midwest and join the <laughs> Oklahoma City Thunder. I love Bricktown. Whenever we came through, I just love it. You know, I love uh, <laughs> going to Brickopolis and playing mini golf. You know, I just. That's my home. <laughs> but actually, okay, but t- t- talking about next season, the Warriors will be back. And I hope the yes. Lakers get better so that we can see a like someone who can contend with them in the West. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm of the mindset that the Warriors are going to at least make it to the Western Conference Finals. You know, the Clippers, I think they need to make some changes, whether it's changing the role players or even splitting up Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. We'll see. But I think that those three teams are going to be, you know, your 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 big three in the Western Conference, and that's not even talking about teams like the Denver Nuggets, Houston Rockets, maybe even like throw a team like the Utah Jazz up there, your Oklahoma City Thunder, who you know I guess it depends on what they do with Chris Paul, whether or not they're going to compete. But you know, those those three teams, it feels like it's going to be one of them next year. So and uh, they could certainly be the three best teams in the league, and especially you know not knowing what's going to happen with Giannis onto the Kumpo in Milwaukee. So, all right, uh, I think that's enough NBA talk for now. Uh, we still don't know when the new season is going to start, so we don't know when we'll talk about this again. I think the NBA draft is November eighteenth, so maybe we'll talk a little about that then. Uh, but let's wrap things up with our top five and. It is midway through October. Uh, we are coming up close on Halloween. It's spooky season. Uh, this is a perfect time, especially if you're, you know, you're isolating, you're inside quarantine, quarantining with the pandemic to watch some movies. So we're going to go through our uh, scary movies or you know, any Halloween-related movies uh, to watch in today's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right. Uh, so before we get into this, I do want to say that 
I'm not a huge fan of like blood and gore and horror and stuff. So this was kind of a difficult thing for me to do. Uh, you know, it's something that I think you'll see in my um, top five coming up. Uh, and also just a quick question. Have any of you guys been watching The Boys, the Amazon Prime video show? I've heard a lot about it, but no. It is so good. I say that as someone who's not a big superhero movie fan, or like, you know, just superheroes in general. Like, I, I enjoy the Avengers. I enjoy the high-quality movies. I don't really seek out that content a lot. I love the boys. I highly recommend it to anybody. And the reason why I bring it up is because that this second season that just wrapped up is so graphic. There's so much gore. It's just like I'm constantly looking away and stuff. But I still love it. So maybe maybe I should give some of these other movies that are really good a try. But, uh, you know, that's just one thing I want to throw out there um, before we get into this top five. Just just before you see my list and hate me for not having any of the, uh, the classic horror films on here. Um, so we're, uh, we're going to try the wraparound way of doing this rather than all going at once. Ben, you're a guest host, so why don't you get started with your number five? Excellent. Okay. And I'm going to start with my number five, which is Untraceable. This movie is a 2008 uh, movie. An FBI cybercrime special agent gets an anonymous tip about a website called killwithme.com that live streams a cat being tortured and killed. The, web, the website seemingly can't be shut down because it was built with a failsafe. Every time the server is closed, a mirror server immediately replaces it. The website eventually graduates to human victims and uses traps that are progressively activated by the number of hits the website receives. Kind of like Saw, except it's more about you know more people seeing it is what sets off the trap as opposed to it being your choice. Um, the public is urged to avoid the website, but that only surges the popularity. Can this FBI cybercrime special agent find the perp and put a stop to these public executions? And I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to tell you what happens. It's, uh, but it is tantalizing. Did you write these yourself? Yes. Okay. Very impressive. I didn't know if you were like reading like a movie review or something. Well, actually, um, you'll notice all five of the movies I've brought here tonight are movies that we've reviewed on Affable Chat, so I know them pretty well. Um, and I'll also tell you that Untraceable features Colin Hanks, which is Tom Hanks' son, and that's probably the only actor you've ever heard of that's in it. But it is, uh, I think, worth your time if you're looking for a little bit of thrills and maybe a little few spills of blood. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian. All right, so for my number five, I went with The Purge, anarchy and if you're wondering which one that is that's the second one i i'll admit i've only seen the first two and after that i haven't seen the rest of them but so the first purge i did not enjoy whatsoever but the second one was great the first one it, it the story just shows one family's house but for the second one it shows in the city what happens and for i'll try to read it in a in, Be, in ben's kind of way of the movie summary uh, so one night per year, in, if, in case people haven't heard of what The Purge is, it's a 12-hour period in which citizens can commit any crime they wish, including murder, without fear of punishment or imprisonment. And in the movie, uh, the main character who lost his son is planning a vigilante mission of revenge uh, on the person who ended up uh, killing his son. And it's a it was honestly a great. It was actually a pretty good movie, to be honest, and it was much better than the the 
first original Purge movie, and I would recommend it. So that's my number five, The Purge Anarchy. All right, uh, so my number five is the only actual horror movie on my list, and I'm going to be honest and say this does not belong on anyone's top five horror movies, and that is the movie VHS. Uh, So this is the only horror movie that I have watched and I've actually laughed at. Uh, I don't know. I typically avoid horror, so I'm not one to go for the cheesy horror movies, but this certainly fits that billing. Basically, uh, it's about these guys who break into an abandoned house and in the basement, they find a TV and a bunch of VHS tapes and they start watching them one by one, totally unrelated. And uh, they're, they're just like these you know, crazy horror type scenarios at different uh, people find themselves in the last one actually does take place on Halloween so it is absolutely fitting in this Halloween related um, you know top five that we're doing so uh, I just put it up here because it's one of the only horror movies that'll actually go out of my way to watch and uh, if you like bad horror movies I would recommend it and uh, if you don't I I would not so that's my number five VHS Nice. Um, okay, I'll move on to my number four, which is Seven. It's a movie from 1995. And the thing about Seven is it's very much mysterious, so I'm not going to be able to reveal much to you, but I think I can maybe convince you to try out this movie. Uh, first off, it stars Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. Okay, so that's A-list that's billing right there. Yes, they're detectives on the case in a crime-ridden city. They begin investigating a series of murders that are themed on the seven deadly sins, starting with a man who is forced to eat until his stomach burst open. Can these two follow the clues to find the perp and stop the violence? Or does the perp have a message that he's trying to send? It's a very iconic movie. It's way better if you don't look up spoilers. That includes who else is in it, okay? If you plan on watching Seven, which I think is an amazing movie. And it's also, while it is horrific, it's not... It's more of a thriller than a horror movie, I would say. So, it, Corey, I would recommend this to a guy like you. Because <laughs> okay. I, I, I am like you. I'm a little skittish about this kind of horror kind of stuff. Maybe to a lesser degree, but I understand what you're feeling. This oh, yeah. movie, I think, would be... Uh, you would be definitely be able to stomach it, despite the first murder being a guy who couldn't. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that, that's Seven, my number four movie. So for my number four movie, I went with the movie called Monster House, and it came out in 2006. This is also technically a horror movie, but it's, it's an animation, and even kids can watch it. Uh, it's a kid's movie. It's, it's a kid's movie. It's but, a spooky kid's but it's movie. But it's, kind of, it's kind of a scary kid's movie. It's PG for a reason. And in this movie... <laughs> <laughs> and in this movie, no adults believe these three youths uh, that uh, assertion that a neighboring residence is living is a living creature that means them harm. With Halloween approaching, the trio must find a way to destroy the structure before innocent trick-or-treaters meet ghastly ends. And it's, for a cartoon movie, solid, hor- solid, solid movie. And especially since it's kind of, kind of a horror movie, but it's, it's really a kid's movie, I'll admit. Critics rave. It's PG for a reason. 
<laughs> uh, I, I like Monster House, though. I saw it too. I think it's, it belongs on this list. It's a good movie. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing it. I I can't remember how I felt about it. If I really liked it as a kid, I feel Ke- like I wouldn't appreciate it as much now. Yeah. Yeah. Ke- Kevin James is actually in it, and uh, Nick Cannon. They played the cops in the movie that oh, don't nice. believe the kids until they get attacked. Yeah. Okay, so they got a nice, nice all-star cast. Yeah. Um, so for my number four, uh, according to Wikipedia, it is the number two highest grossing horror film of all time, even though it's not really a horror film. Uh, it is a thriller, and that is The Sixth Sense, M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, and I actually watched this movie for the first time two years ago on October 30th. So right before Halloween, uh, even though this isn't maybe not a traditional Halloween movie, it is a kind of movie that I would want to watch on Halloween because it's more of the thrill seeking than the jump scare slasher type film series um, accustomed to Halloween. Uh, I I think this is a really awesome movie. I did not know the, the surprise M. Night Shyamalan plot twist ending uh, going into it. So it really helped me appreciate it. Of course, I knew the famous uh, Haley Joel Osment, I See Dead People. I think everyone is aware of that, even if you haven't seen the movie. And I definitely recommend it. Uh, and um, I don't know if there's any other M. Night Shyamalan movies worth recommending, but uh, this is certainly uh, at the top of uh, movies that he's created over the years. All right. Uh, my number three is definitely not... Yeah, this is probably the least horror of my five, but um, it's still... it'll It'll make your skin crawl. It's called... A Clockwork Orange in this movie. It's actually kind of old. It's from 1971, but the, its age almost adds to it because it it gives kind of a uh, off-putting feel the way that it's uh, you know it's filmed. It's a Stanley Kubrick film, so you know that it's very very artsy. Um, it's really trippy too, um, but also violent and shocking. Okay, this is not one to sit down and watch with your mom if she gets offended at cuss words, okay, or worse. Um, It takes place in futuristic Britain. Not futuristic like flying cars, but futuristic like the evolution of society. Like a post-apocalyptic type dystopian. Dystopian is a better way to say it. Not necessarily post-apocalyptic, but definitely dystopian. And like one of the aspects that's really interesting about this movie is that language has evolved. So you, the way they talk is really weird, but you can still kind of understand it, but it's kind of like a prediction of where a language could go. Like instead of saying, is that the term? There is a specific term for this, like the way that they speak in a clockwork orange. Cause one of the words I remember that they pronounce weird, instead of saying apologies, they say apopolologies. And it, they just say that like you're going to understand it. It is tough at points to understand what they're saying. And it's not every word, but uh-huh. they do play with the language like that. But they also, uh, so that's something that has evolved, right, into the future. The other thing that you re- that this movie mainly focuses on is the justice system. In this movie, you get to watch in horror as a young, vi- as a violent youngster does terrible things, terrible things, and you get to witness all of it until he's thrown in prison and the government tries a horrific rehabilitation technique on him. And I'll leave it at that. It's it's definitely a, a, like something that will stick with you. And um, it's also really artsy, so if you like that kind of film. But really, the some of the ideas that they bring up and the things they make you look at is shocking. And I wouldn't be... 
I wouldn't blame you for skipping this one if you're not in the mood to see that kind of thing. But yeah. A Clockwork Orange, Stanley Kubrick, very iconic film. It's an X-rated movie, and it's not even because yes. it's pornographic. Like, <laughs> Yeah. All right, so you guys have talked about how you're, you guys aren't really big fans of the bloody gore horror kind of movies. I got to tell you, I wouldn't recommend this movie to you guys because I'd be covering my eyes the entire time watching this movie. It is PG for a reason. And that movie is Casper. (laughs) (laughs) Casper. What kind of ghost is that guy? Yeah. (laughs) So Casper is this... (laughs) He is a kind, friendly, young ghost who... Friendly. Friendly. Oh my God. (laughs) Who peacefully haunts a mansion in Maine. And when specialists... Uh, James Harvey, who is played by Bill Pullman, who is the guy in Independence Day, uh, the president of Independence Day, arrives to communicate with Casper and his fellow spirits. He brings along his teenage daughter, Kat, played by Christina Ricci. Casper quickly falls in love with Kat, but their budding relationship is complicated not only by their his transparent state, but also by his troublemaking uh, apparition, apparition uncle's and their mischievous antics. And so, yeah, not only is it a family movie, but it's also kind of a romantic kind of comedy movie. So maybe I should have put that in my top five romantic comedies, Corey, right? You should have. Yeah, they should have been on it over Wedding Crashers. Yeah, I I mean, you talk, you've talked this, you mentioned this twice now, how or three times now, that Wedding Crashers is not a romantic comedy. I If you Google Wedding Crashers, it says comedy slash romance. So... I think it's a romantic comedy, but I just leave it at that. <laughs> so Casper, PG for a reefer also <laughs> is my number three choice. I thought about including Casper on my list. Uh, I haven't seen it in so long, though, that I, I couldn't keep it on. Casper's uh, being, now in commercials now. He He's is, yeah. He made a He's Geico in the Geico commercial. commercial. I know. They revived him. Uh, I guess, you know, speaking of movies I haven't seen in a long time, that's where my number three comes in. And as a kid... When I, you know, I was three, four, five, six years old, and even you know, beyond that, I loved Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo is my favorite franchise. I loved watching the cartoon, like you know, even like the old like '60s shows. I loved watching all the movies that came out, and uh, I probably could have just come up with the top five Scooby Doo films, but I decided to stick with just one. And the one I went with, uh, I think, is a probably one of the bigger specific like Halloween type embodiments of the Scooby-Doo franchise. And that is Scooby-Doo and the witch's ghost. And that, that's a, one of the reasons I put this on here. Another reason. So it takes place in like a, an old new England town, a very kind of Salem witch trialy stuff. So it does feel like it's fitting for Halloween, but let's be honest. What is the number one reason I put Scooby-Doo and the witch's ghost in my top five? That's right, the Hex Girls, and their hit song that the Hex Girls. I'm and I'm gonna put a spell on you. We're gonna put a spell on all of you. Like that song. I I that's like the biggest thing I remember from this movie is that song. And I, as soon as I thought about it, I was like, yes, they need to be on my top five. I gotta add them to my Spotify uh, playlist for the, this time of year so I can and continue to enjoy them uh, twenty years after this movie first came out. So uh, I I love Scooby Doo. I, I I. Like you said, three, four, five, six years old, even beyond. I love the the '90s versions. 
of uh of Scooby Doo and Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so it's like a Scooby like let's get out of here. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> let me at him. Let me at him. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was a huge fan of Scooby Doo and all the characters. And and then low key I think Daphne kind of hot even though she's cartoon. <laughs> I was always a huge Shaggy guy. He was always my favorite. I always just wondered why I watched that show so much at school. Like, there's no education. <laughs> what do you, you learn? I wish I watched it in school. I remember watching Scooby Doo a lot at school, and um, I mean, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> All right, are we ready to yep. keep this thing rolling? Yeah. Top. Two. All right, we're getting close. Yeah. Uh, number two for me is Us. This is a 2019 film. This is Jordan Peele's second horror film. And honestly, it's it's tough to say this because like obviously it's kind of unfulfilling for me to say this, but I really don't want to say anything about this film. You just should go see it. Especially if you've seen Get Out, which is Jordan Peele's first horror film. He's not it's not a sequel in any way. But if you liked Get Out and you liked that level of horror, which is not like, you know, any it's not anywhere close to the line. You should watch this horror movie. It's so good. Um, that I mean, it's great writing, great cast, great underlying message, and all around just a great horror movie. It stars. Uh, yeah, it'll, there's a lot of actors you might recognize, like uh, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, which she was in Black Panther. Uh, she was also in Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, Winston Du, or, or sorry. Um, What's it called? I, I, that was her name in the in the movie. I'm sorry. It's Adelaide Wilson. Uh, she was in uh, Twelve Years a Slave and Black Panther, as uh, as well as Gabe Wilson, who was in Black Panther, and um, Tim Heidecker, who's one of my favorite comedians. He's also in this movie. I. It's just a great horror film. I'll leave it at that. It's number two for a reason on my list, um, and you should watch it. And if you haven't seen Get Out, you should watch that too. Kind of a bonus thrown in there. But Jordan Peele, a master of suspense and horror. Um, and that's why it's number two on my list. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen either Get Out or Us yet. And that's just kind of tells you how I stand when it comes to horror movies. And it's like, I know I should watch them. And I, I just, I can't bring myself to it yet. Uh, but I, I've heard great things. So I'm not shocked at all that they're number two on your list with us. I know that these are pretty comprehensive horror lists, Corey. Yes. But honestly, for specifically for your range of horror, either I think one of those I, is a go-to. I you should watch at least I, one I of those this so. October. I think so as well. All right. So for my number two movie, I went with a movie called Disturbia. And that movie stars Shia LaBeouf. And honestly, I don't, I don't want to say it's his best movie, but... It's. I think it's his most underrated movie. I think it was. I think it was awesome. And it's not a horror movie. It's a mystery slash suspense kind of movie. And so in this movie, Shia is a troubled high school student, uh, and he becomes convinced that he's living next door to a serial killer. And in the movie, he he struggles to come terms with the death of his father because in the big be- in the beginning of the movie him and his dad are on a fishing trip and and they get in a car crash and he dies and he ends up uh later in the movie he actually ends up getting under house arrest because he fought his teacher because his teacher called him out in class to answer a question and he asked him 
Wh- and because Shia couldn't answer the question, he said, hey, why? give me one good reason why I shouldn't feel you right now. And then he whispers to him, what would your father think? And and that's just the, such a dick move to do. So he ends up punching him and ends up in house arrest. And because of that, he ends up living next... He, he looks through next door and he's convinced that he's living next to a serial killer. And he's there's also a romantic part to it as well because there's a, a girl that moves in next door as well. And I, I think it's a great movie and I think it's super underrated. And that's why I have it as my number two. I would recommend this movie. Yeah, so I had, I had never heard of this movie before. Um, it's kind of interesting talking about that because I think the tagline is something like "Killers live next door to someone too." Um, but I uh, I was surprised that when I googled it, just Disturbia, trying to find an image for the uh, top there's also, graphic. There's, there's also most some... of most of what came up was the movie. It was not a lot of real oh, well, oh, okay. search results. Okay, I was more <laughs> okay. Of that. So I would have guessed the song. Enough. I, w- I was going to guess the song would be more popular, but... Yeah, maybe movie. I had also just Googled enough horror films that Google was like, all right, I think we know what he's going for here. <laughs> but. All right, so uh, for my number two, so kind of like my number three with Scooby-Doo, I probably could have gone with a few options here, but I'm just sticking with the one, and that is the original Scary Movie. And uh, I I love the the scary movie franchise i i love watching horror movies that are actually comedies you know i put vhs in my number five that's not really a comedy this one is truly a comedy wayne's brothers are so funny there's like so many memorable scenes from the the scary movie franchise particularly the first one uh i love when uh so the ghost face so the first one it's mostly a spoof of um scream and ghost face is the main character and (laughs) when uh He's he's smoking with Shorty and his friends, and uh, he hits a bong, and then it, it shows up in his mask. It's just all, all like messed up with him, like looking like he's high all of a sudden. And he starts <laughs> rapping, and he has his hook, and he's just killing everyone. Shorty's like, "Oh, that was awesome!" And uh, just like it's such an iconic scene. I uh, yeah, there's so many so much great stuff about that movie. Like that is the kind of movie that I want to watch this time of year. And I mean, really scary movies. You can watch them at any time. Uh, they're they're all great. They're they're all all hilarious hilarious the way that they spoof actual horror films and add a the, the comedic twist to them uh really great cast just uh, all, i will certainly recommend these all right um and now we're on to the top one of all of our lists and starting with me my number one horror movie is the evil dead from 1981 and this is true classic horror this is what you think of i mean l- let me just tell you the premise Five Michigan State students go on vacation, probably fall break, to a cabin in the woods of Tennessee. Classic, you know, teenagers in the cabin in the woods. Um, And they discover some ancient artifacts in the basement and accidentally awake a demonic entity. All hell breaks loose as the college kids try to survive the night. This has all the horror tropes from jump scares to possession to reanimation. It's great horror fun, and for me, it goes right up to the line without crossing it in regards to how scary it is. Um, And it's also just an iconic horror film that 
horror fans everywhere have seen and love to talk about and it's referenced everywhere i mean it's the beginning of the series of like the evil dead and based on what i've seen from the other ones it's by far the most tame as far as like it's just kids in the woods with a demonic entity and not a guy with a chainsaw arm literally (laughs) fighting against an army of like from hell so which is what the evil dead becomes but this first one is just classic campy horror all practical effects uh just you know nothing too over the top just you know like kind of helping to define the genre early on yeah and this is 1981 movie so yes yeah definitely one of the uh the early ones the budget so. for this movie is really low. There's not, which is you know kind of a, a thing for horror, f- like the genre. There's usually not very expensive to make, but um, it's like it was filmed very quickly and with a lot of like the characters. Like there are times where there's like hands coming out of the floorboards, and you we we looked up some behind the scenes and like those are the hands of just the other actors because for this scene you know <laughs> yeah. you couldn't see them so they played the hands and it's just uh-huh. you know it's it's very campy and, and cool like that so and it is scary it, i mean it's a horror movie um but uh it was the for me it was just such a great experience to get through and uh you know to become a part of that part of the community of people who love uh the evil dead so that's my number one film the evil dead nice all right so for my number one I went to the movie called A Quiet Place, and I actually watched this movie less than 24 hours ago. I watched this last night. Oh, wow. And this movie was For awesome. this list? It was a coincidence that I bought this movie recently, <laughs> and we were doing this, so I'm like, oh, I got a reason to watch this movie tonight then. Yeah, and this movie was awesome. So for the, for the subnosis, uh, if they hear you, they hunt you. A family must live in silence to avoid mysterious creatures that hunt by sound knowing that even the slightest whisper or footstep can even bring death. The husband and wife are determined to find a way to protect their children while desperately searching for a way to fight back. And have you guys, you guys have seen The Office, right? Yes. Or, do you know John yes, Krasin- Krasinski? He directs yeah. this movie. And, and stars in Jim. it. Yeah, so him in The Office is actually the director, and he plays a part in this movie, and as well as Emily Blunt and the the children as well. And this movie was awesome, and... It was silent, but for good reason. They had to do sign language for for most of the pretty much the entire movie, and it, I, don't, I don't know. It was just so, it was so cool, and I was on the edge of my seat from from literally the start. It, you're into it five minutes into the movie, like there. It wasn't mess. It's not messing around, and and you'll know why if you go see it. Uh, that's pretty much all I can tell you. I would highly highly recommend this movie. It only came out a couple years ago, and there's going to be a second part uh, to this movie in 2021. That and that's how good it was. All right. I can't give. I I want to give more <laughs> details like Ben yeah. with these movies, but I can't as at the same time because I'm uh-huh. giving away spoilers. So a quiet yeah. place is my number one choice. No, that's I I've I've heard so much good stuff. That's another one where it's like us, where it's like I I've heard all these great things about it. It's this new one that came out, and it's just uh, can I bring myself to actually watch it? So we'll, we'll see, maybe maybe one day. Uh, but I'll wrap things up with my number one, and you can make fun of my list two through five, but I don't think too many people can complain about my number one. I would hope because uh, not only it, it it's a thriller more than a horror, but it's one of the most popular thrillers ever made and that is the silence of the lambs 
Uh, should not really be too much of a shocker being my number one, seeing as earlier this year I put Hannibal Lecter as my number one TV and film doctor. I I just love this movie. I, I love the whole premise of it. I think that it, it's just phenomenal the way they tell this story. Uh, awesome actors. And uh, I actually watched it for the first time my junior year of college when uh, I had a bunch of people over to watch a Halloween type movie uh, right before uh, it's probably like October 28th or something. And the original plan was to watch Ghostbusters. And I went up to, I was upstairs, I was doing something, getting ready, whatever. And I come downstairs and it's like, yeah, we couldn't find Ghostbusters. We're watching the Silence of the Lambs instead. And being, you know, who I am, very skittish, I was like, oh no, like this isn't what I signed up for at all. I wound up loving the movie. And I'm honestly shocked it took me that long to see it because my dad is a huge fan of the whole Hannibal Lecter franchise. So I'm surprised that he hadn't kind of made me watch it or maybe he tried to. And I was like, no, no way. Um, I'm glad that I did though. Phenomenal, phenomenal film. Um, It's the only one in the series I've seen to this point. I definitely should see more of them. Uh, But I I think that this is well-deserving to be number one on uh, just about anyone's uh, top five horror and thriller film list. All right, so that will wrap up today's episode. Ben, thank you for coming on and uh, you know, talking with us about football, uh, you know, basketball, and then of course doing a, a movie theme top five. Uh, be sure to check out his other podcast, Affable Chat, hashtag Chip Life. It's, uh, it's Chip all the rage these yeah. days. Yeah. yeah, and if that wasn't enough horror movies for you, we're doing Beetlejuice next, so that episode nice. will be out before long. Uh, more movies for you. Yeah, I've seen part of Beetlejuice in a bar. This is the only time. It's just on TV, like right before the Halloween. ideal movie watching yeah, situation. Right. Didn't didn't end up catching most of it. So, uh, but yeah, I uh, I always recommend Affable Chat. You know, listen to that whenever you wrap up this episode. And uh, for my co-host Brian Wells, for my special guest host Benjamin Carlson, I'm Corinne Avantnew. Thanks, everyone.